0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. And
1: then I laid in the desert at night and be under you know, a million stars in the Atacama Desert, especially on the plateau there, and just you would see the Galactic Core you know, every night and just an insane amount of stars. And they would just sit on me like an elephant and just, you know, crush me and say, remind me that you are literally nothing. You are nothing. Just a reminder being there in that kind of mental state as well allowed me to, I think, or I tried to like build up from the foundation. It's like, okay, what matters then if, if you are nothing and obviously you don't take anything with you and you, you're going to go in, in the blink of a moment. And uh, so, like, what matters?
0: That was a clip from today's guest, Tom Tursich, a friend of the show and incredible guy who just finished walking around the world. Yes, he spent the last seven years of his life walking across six continents. And this episode here today contains all three interviews I've done with Tom over the last six years. So the episode you're going to hear is six years in the making. I've got an interview from August 2016 when he was about 15 months into his walk going from New Jersey to Ecuador. I've got an interview from June 2019 and the most recent one from August 2022. You're going to hear a lot of themes covered. I'll go over everything in a minute. I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to want to miss this one. (laughs) Trust me. So put your walking shoes on, grab your favorite beverage. Thanks for being here and... Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I've been so excited to bring you this very special episode. As I mentioned at the top, six years in the making, and I had to dig into the archives to bring out the first couple interviews with Tom. We've been following his journey. This is a bit of a completion of the Tom Tursich trilogy. I highly encourage you to go check out Tom's work over at theworldwalk.com and you can learn more about it after the episode, but in the meantime, let's talk about some of the themes that we get into over this uh, epic episode and epic journey that Tom has made, 7 years walking across 6 continents. I feel uh, really lucky that I got to talk to him pretty early on his journey, and then four years in, and then most recently as he finished his walk. Some of the themes we cover, uh, so many things. Pursuit and fulfillment of dreams, mindfulness, presence, altering the rhythm of life, sacrifice, logistics, choices, kindness. Hardship, stamina, motivation, physicality, mindset, testing your limits, humanness, ideas around success and wealth. What do they mean? Relationships, family, closure. I could go on and on. There is a plethora of topics covered here. And you know, on this show, it's about travel, but it's about more than travel and how travel can change us as individuals. And I thought putting all three interviews I've done with Tom together would give us a bit of an audio snapshot of how this walk impacted Tom. What was the experience like? What lessons could we learn from his journey? And this is 6 years in the making, this show, because the interviews span 6 years. And if you have heard the other two and you want to skip ahead, Everything's time-stamped for you here in the show notes, so you can feel free to go ahead and skip right to the last part, if you'd like, but if you haven't heard any of these interviews with Tom, I highly suggest you buckle up and come along for the ride. He's a great guy, shares openly, and just feel a load of gratitude that he's taken the time to come on the show over the years. and that I get to share these conversations with you in this very special episode. Don't forget to stick around after the interviews. I'll leave you with a quote, a classic travel quote that I had to include in this episode. Now, let's get it started. We're going to kick it off with my interview with Tom from August 2016 when he was 15 months into his walk. He had, at that point, made it from New Jersey to Ecuador after that, you'll hear the interview from June 2019, and then the final segment of the trilogy, the August 2022 interview. After Tom finishes his walk and shares all of the uh, various lessons he had learned from the entire experience, check him out: theworldwalk.com. Let's get into it, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. where are you? It's morning for you. You're sipping coffee. I see some bright colors in the background. I think maybe somewhere in South America right now. Yeah. So
1: uh, I am in Ecuador. Uh, I'm in El Guapo. It's like a little city on the coast of Ecuador. I'm about 200 kilometers from the border of Peru. And once I leave here, it'll be a little under a week until Peru. And, uh, and then I'll have to be, then I'll be in the deserts. But, uh, yeah, Wi-Fi is rare, and uh, we coordinated this, I guess, last week, and I timed the walk just right so I could get into this hotel last night and be here this morning to talk to you.
0: Oh, dude, well... Man, now I feel a little bad. Like, I I mean, I hope that it worked out okay logistically. It sounds like it did, yeah. but I appreciate Just that. Make it, and snake, first my while. <laughs> <laughs> we will try our best. And uh, I know the people that are listening right now appreciate it as well, because you got a, a lot of stuff to share around this story. And I guess the first question is like, a, you know, we're both from the East Coast. I'm from outside of Philly. You're from New Jersey, right?
1: Yeah, outside of Philly. No. Eagles fan, of course. No, all
0: right, me too. And uh, you know, New Jersey isn't exactly known as a like a walking destination or anything. I mean, what how did this New Jersey boy start walking on this crazy trip and is now down in South America? Like what were what was your life like growing up in Jersey? Did you travel as a kid or
1: yeah, um as a kid Did a little bit of traveling with my family, not much. Went to Jamaica, and we would go down to Virginia. Did a lot of skiing with my dad growing up. Um, But internationally, not that much. Uh, Ski trip to to Canada, and then when I was in 10th grade, uh, went to England, Ireland, and Wales. Um, But as far as the walk, uh, it's a very specific Uh, dream, I guess, that I had. And it started when I was uh, 17. My good friend Anne-Marie passed away. She was in like this freak jet ski accident. And her death came at a, uh, you know, formative time for me. I was 17. And I'd never had someone close to me die before. And it was this realization that this does not last forever and you actually die and you need to make what you have worthwhile and so after she passed away there's a couple months of uh, real confusion and I didn't know where I stood in the world where <clears throat> how I fit death into living just a day-to-day life and going to school and and just going through my everyday patterns and uh so I had to reconsider everything, and I was kind of in this fog. And then a friend played Dead Poet Society, which I'm sure you've seen, uh, but Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, all that. And in kind of this raw condition that I was in, it really stuck with me, and it hit me deep, and I was like, this is it. This is what. It, this is the answer. You know, Carpe Diem, Seize the Day. And I was a senior in high school at this point, and I knew I needed to live and get out there and see more. And I searched for a cheap ways to travel and found this guy, Carl Bushby, who back in, I think, 93, he started uh, Walk Around the World. And he's an ex-British paratrooper, a uh, fascinating guy. But I found him and thinking in my 17-year-old mind with $1,000 in my bank account. It's like, well, I could do this after high school. I could leave and walk around the world with $1,000. Like That's doable. (laughs) Um, Obviously, not doable. You need more than $1,000 unless you're planning on stopping every month to work somewhere. Um, But so that planted the idea of walking around the world in my head. And then it was going to college. Uh, graduated with uh, psychology and philosophy. And while I was there, I worked with the head of business, trying to get sponsors to walk around the world. And uh, you know, as time went on through college, uh, the idea just continued to grow and just took over a greater and greater part of me. And uh, it kind of evolved more uh, from. At 17, it was just an idea and a dream and a goal, but as the years went on and I thought about it every night before I went to bed thinking of, you know, I'd love to be in Ecuador right now or I'd love to be in El Salvador on this great adventure, uh, it kind of just grew into a part of me and I couldn't separate it. And so it became this total focus where after I graduated college, uh, I was putting in solar panels, which was good work. I was outside, I liked it, got paid well. Um, I lived at home and I just saved just everything I had. Uh, I rarely went out. I didn't buy anything. I just went to the gym. I put in solar panels. I wrote at night or in the morning and just saved and saved and saved for, for I guess, three or four years. And Then once I had a big enough chunk of money where I thought I could bleed this out while paying my loans And I could bleed this out to uh, Uruguay, and hopefully by then I'd have some sponsors that would see me through the other five continents. Um, So then in the day before my 26th birthday, which was uh, last year in April, uh, I left and I just kind of took my chances. And uh, that is the origin of the walk.
0: I guess every superhero has like its or his or her origin story it's pretty powerful how uh how long you held on to this dream and kept it alive i mean it sounds like it never really wavered it just kept getting bigger and more prominent in your mind is that accurate was there a time where you were kind of like doubting that this would be a thing or did like this switch flip and you were just like i'm definitely doing this i don't care how long it takes
1: yeah it was both when i was younger you know, 17 and beginning college it was like I said small and kind of took a backseat to things but then as it went on and I was towards uh graduating college and people were talking about their plans and what they wanted to do then it really became it really strengthened um and there wasn't anything else I wanted to do when I thought about you know did I did I want to go into insurance did I want to be a psychologist did I want to it was just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to walk. That was it. I wanted to see the world slowly and meet people and be in weird situations and uh, go on an adventure. Uh, but the there was, uh, I had a, a girlfriend uh, starting junior year in college and we dated for four years. She was a wonderful, wonderful girl. I loved her she's fantastic. Um, if I hadn't have had the walk, I I would have married her. Um, but there's a, there's a period after college, um, the most difficult period of my life where it was a choice between her and the walk. And honestly, the walk had just grown too strong in me and I never, I didn't have a choice and I would have loved to have been with her. Uh, but if I had stayed with her, I would have been bitter toward, towards her. I would have been bitter towards maybe like my kids growing up and, and I would say, you know, give up on your dream. It's not worth it because, you know, other things will take over. Um, so ended things with her. And then after that, it was, there was, you know, I had, I had ended things with her, and it was the walk. So it was one or the other, and I knew it at that time. You you important. weren't
0: going to give up something that was awesome and not do the exactly. other thing, right?
1: Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, I totally understand that. Um, it's just really cool to see how uh, how you've carried through on this and how you've had the tenacity, I guess, to like just keep saving, keep pushing and then even going so far as to like end a relationship for for this dream. You know, now you're out there doing it, was there anybody externally that was discouraging you or that thought maybe this was a bad idea?
1: Well, there wasn't there wasn't anyone in particular that was like vicious against it. Um and my dad was all for it. My dad, like, he had lived in Hawaii for five years under TARP when he was my age. He's like a okay. wild man. Yeah. So I told him, yeah, go for it, you know, whatever. So run in the family,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I guess the my mom uh, plays devil's advocate, but smartly so, uh, just to like, I have these wild ideas all the time, and she plays devil's advocate to test them out and make sure they're sound ideas. Um, but I think for most of my friends and family I've been talking about the walk for so long and I didn't mention it often and usually it was only like late at night over some beers or something.
0: Right. You're like, uh, I'm I didn't gonna like- do
1: this walk. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I swear to you. I swear.
0: Uh, but you did tell down- people. I mean that's an important part of the process I think to make it real.
1: Yeah, I think there's a line where tell people who uh care about you and who have uh th- like the best idea of you and who who trust you but don't go around in a bar telling people you're going to do this wild thing that you know you don't know and that you're not friends with this is just you know it's do it before you're talking about right. it uh i don't mean actions to
0: speak tr- louder than words type of thing e- yeah
1: exactly exactly Yes, yeah, so I talked about uh, the walk with my friends in college and uh, my family, and it was they. I think they always knew that it was something that meant a lot to me. But I have to give up a lot to make it happen. I mean, it's not an ordinary dream where uh, you know I want my CPA to be an accountant or. Uh, you know, I want to work on wall street and I don't have to give up my close friends or my family, but with the walk, I'm gone for five years and I haven't seen my family. And, uh, since, uh, Georgia, I guess was the last time I saw him. But you no, know, I, I, like I said, I had to give up this girl. I was uh, very much in love with, I have to give up my family, my friends, um, not to say that I don't talk to them, but it's a big cut. And my friends understood that and my family understood that they weren't doubtful, I'd say, but kind of the odds were stacked against me. And there's a reason there's not a lot of people walking around the world. It's because you just got to, there's a lot of things you got to cut off.
0: Whenever you're giving up something uh, like the traditional job and the girlfriend, all the, all the sort of regular status quo things, it's always seen as giving it up, but actually like when you're working on Wall Street or whatever it is, you're also giving stuff up too. Like you're, you would be giving up the walk or you'd be giving up pursuing another career. Or I mean like anytime you do something, you're giving something up. So basically you just decided the walk was the most important thing that you didn't want to give up. And I love that. I love that when you were like finishing school, you were looking at your options and you're like, well, you know, I want to do this walk. I don't want to do all this stuff, you know, like get a get a job as a psychologist or start a practice or become a CPA or, or whatever it is. And I think that's, that's hugely important in terms of like a lesson because like it's like take your dream seriously, right? Like it's an actual viable option, although it might sound ridiculous and you're not sure how you're going to do it. The fact that you're saying, well, like this is the thing I actually want to do even though everything else is like kind of the things that you're quote unquote supposed to do or like that most people would do, you're just choosing the thing you want to do essentially and prioritizing it. And, you know, over time, over a lot of time, sounds like about eight years of prep for you. You've now gotten to the point where you can do it. So I, uh, and I, think the,
1: I think the other thing you need to realize, too, or just people need to realize is that, Everything you have, you don't just have that thing. You have all the responsibilities attached to that thing. So, if you have a house, you have all the responsibilities attached to the house. If you have a, a wife, you have all the responsibilities attached to a wife. So, you have to be careful about uh, the things that you bring with you, or the things that you that you that you buy, or that you have, because you're not just getting that thing. Before the walk, when I was trying to decide between my girlfriend and the walk or trying to decide between, Oh, uh, you know, it would be great to have a house. It'd be a really nice life. And I could, I could picture it in my mind, but then that would mean, you know, I'd be tied into most likely, you know, 40 hour a week job. And then after that, if I was living in the city or wherever I'd have to get a car and that means more loans and it just starts this cycle of uh, responsibilities and you have, I have more, Responsibilities tied to me, and that's more things I'd have to cut off to to travel freely, which is uh, like what I'm doing now, and I'm fortunate fortunate enough to be doing. And uh, I think that's the goal of everyone who's traveling or who idealizes traveling is just the idea of just less responsibilities, and it's just being aware of all the little things that are attached to to these things that we idealize.
0: Yeah. Philosophically then uh, are you are you somebody who practices detachment as like a a personal philosophy? I guess that would be more of an Eastern philosophy i suppose
1: yeah I, I wouldn't say uh I practice it um by choice but i I mean I guess it is by choice now, but <laughs> yeah i don't have a choice it's uh It's all detachment from me on the road, and it's all like suppressing temptation so I'm walking by like you know, uh uh I don't know, a Batido, uh you know, a place making smoothies and man, I would love to stop there, but I can't I can't spend the money and there's more miles on the road. So it's uh, every day is a practice in suppressing suppressing temptations for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean I hope you're enjoying the occasional smoothie too. It looks like you got a solid cup oh, of absolutely. coffee there.
1: <laughs> I've had the best smoothies in the world I'm just drenched <laughs> and sweating, it's a hundred degrees and um, <laughs> I'm dying and I sit down and have this pure banana and, and pineapple smoothie and it's only dollar. Uh, I've had amazing smoothies.
0: <laughs> so uh, are there any rules around this walk? Like, I mean, I know it's, you said you're walking on all continents, but are you actually doing like a proper walk around the world where you're going like one border of the continent to the other? Is, is this five years set in, set in stone? Like, have you kind of constructed these rules or is it loosey-goosey?
1: Lucy Goosey. Um, so Carl Bushby, the guy who I saw at seventeen and and inspired this, he had three very strict rules, and it was basically uh, walk an unbroken path and uh, back to his home in the UK, and uh, he wouldn't be able to. He's not allowed to go home until he finishes that unbroken path. But he's been on the road for fifteen years through complications and visas and everything like that. And I, I mean, i have never. I've never been one for rules. I think rules are stupid. <laughs> like every situation is different. And, uh, I just don't find the need for it. You know, if, if there's just actually in Colombia, uh, I took a, I took a car like 25 kilometers and it's the first time I've done that since, uh, crossing this bridge in Texas. Uh, but I wanted to give myself that option because these locals had warned me off the area. And I'd never been I'd never been in an area like that where the locals were so fervently saying, if you go through here you will be robbed for sure. Like don't don't walk through there. There's nothing there. It's desert. There's people sitting in the hills just waiting for you. Um and I've never been warned off like that before. And if I'd had a rule, I would have had to pass through there. Um, So there's no rule. No, it's, uh, I just want to see the world. I want to enjoy it. Um, I want to, I want to walk through as much as I can and see these weird little towns and meet weird little people. And I want to plan my feet on every continent. But as far as rules, you know, forget the rules.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, You have a canine companion with you, don't you? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Savannah. Um, So I got, I adopted her in, Adopted her in Austin, and uh, we've crossed every border together since. And she's a great little companion. She helps. She helps me sleep at night. She's listening, and I can sleep.
0: That's awesome. Uh, so, take us back to the day that you actually woke up. You had breakfast, or whatever you had, or whatever you did. Like, what was it like the night before your first day? And then, what was it like? taking those first steps like really if you could take us there man i'd love to hear it like because so much build up to this like it's an insane story insane amount of build up to just getting out there on the road so what was that experience like
1: yeah well i guess it really started to hit me uh the year before i left i decided i was like i'm leaving before my 26th birthday. And so that year I started really putting things into place. And then a couple months before I was leaving, I started laying in bed and I would have these thoughts like in a year from now, I'm going to be in like the middle of El Salvador and I'm going to wake up in El Salvador. And I kept having that like every night, I'm going to wake up in El Salvador a year from now. And then the night before I left, you know, I barely got any sleep. It was up till I don't know, one or two o'clock in the morning, and then woke up at six or five, something like that. And in the morning, uh, actually, a bunch of neighbors came over, and um, uh, we had this box of uh, L&M. I don't know if you know L&M Donuts, but they're these amazing donuts from Jersey. And Jersey neighbor, Pride.
0: Oh, there's, this, there's the Jersey Pride there. <laughs> <laughs> it's in there somewhere.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so my neighbor, Bob, he's like 92 years old. He's a great guy. He came over so we had a, and his favorite is these uh, powdered cream donuts. So we had a box of powdered cream and I ate a couple donuts and had all these neighbors over and kids. And there's probably like 35, 40 people, um, which isn't what I was expecting. You know, like I was prepared to just walk out the door, a complete unknown. Uh, but a couple of weeks before there have been articles written and stuff like that and so there's some word out. Uh, but then, so I had this cart. I had a different cart than I have now. And the cart was built by this guy, Tom Marchetti, who owns a makerspace in the town over from me, but is from the same town that I am. Uh, and so when I went over to this makerspace months before and said, hey, um, this is my plan, I need to carry a bunch of things. I'd like to have in a cart so my back isn't being crushed all the time and I can carry more. And he found out I was from Haddon Township, the same town as he is. Uh, He's like, yeah, absolutely. I'll get behind you and I'll try and find you some sponsors as well. So he built this cart for me and on the day I was leaving, uh, April 2nd, uh, I had it loaded up with way too many things, like such a novice. Like I was, you know, I was going to the AT with my, with a 50, 60 pound pack. And then, you know, I, I dumped 20 pounds of it, but this was essentially uh, so like I, a
0: trailer that you drag, right? Yeah.
1: Well, initially, uh, push? yeah, I pushed. Yeah. So initially I had went to Tom Marchetti with this burly trailer that I thought I could attach to my belt. And when I showed that to him, he said, oh, we can make something better than this. So he made, it's just like an aluminum box basically with a, a top that would lock and two wheels so I could push it. So I had this thing, this crate, it was like a safe, uh, loaded up with things. And then uh, at seven in the morning, I just walked out my front door and turned down the road and walked towards my elementary school and uh, over the Ben Franklin Bridge. But how did you feel? Like How did you feel? Oh man, I was, I was ants. I was excited. I was like, I was delirious. You know, I was living finally like, it was this really strange feeling. You know, I was, I had been thinking about this since I was 17. I, you know, I would lay in bed at college. I had a world map on my wall in college and I would lay in bed and just like, think about this map and like, I got to break out of here. You know, I got to see this thing through. And I, and then to actually be on the road, like taking those first steps, I was like, you know, I was through the moon. It was it was insane. It was delirious. I was walking through Camden, which is the most dangerous city in America, like grinning, waving at people. And they're like, what the, what is this guy doing? This guy's insane. And, you know, for this couple of hours, like I could have been robbed. I, I could have been stabbed. I, I don't Anything terrible could have happened and it wouldn't have phased me. I was you know that this thing had been eight years in the making, and it was finally—I was taking my first steps. It was unreal.
0: Yeah, they were just like, "Well, that guy just has awesome energy. We're just going to leave him alone. Something's going on there. Something special." But it's funny because, you know, it's this, it's this huge thing, and I, I just love the idea of you know walking out of your front door, and that's all you did, really. I mean, like it's not all you've done. I'm not belittling it. What I mean though, it's, it's, if you simplify it, it's empowering to think that you walked out your front door and now you are in Ecuador. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you've just been walking and, um, I don't know. There's a, a beauty in the simplicity of that. I think when you can start an adventure right out of your, out of your front door, but it must be pretty funny. Like the first couple nights, cause you're just, you're like in, you're almost home right? You're like in areas that, you know, was that, was it kind of weird? Cause you're like, all right, I'm still in Philly or, uh, um, yeah. you know, yeah, certainly. Uh, actually,
1: so the, uh, the cart I had, I had it loaded up with way too much stuff and it had these like run flat, uh, plastic tires on it. And only three days out, I was only just like in Pennsylvania somewhere and the tire snapped. And I just like called my dad and was like, Yeah, dad, like, my tire broke. Can you drive out a new one? And he was uh, there in an, an hour. hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was an it was like an hour. It was an hour drive, right? <laughs> 45 minutes. And actually he didn't drive it. It was my uh my sponsor, Philadelphia sign, the CEO and uh you know, his like right hand man drove me out like uh and some new tires. But it was it was very uh you know, it kind of brought me back down to earth. It was like, oh yeah, you're 45 minutes away. Uh, <laughs> it's, you're not on this amazing adventure yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you were, and that's how it all starts. Mm-hmm. So far now you've walked through the U.S. and then Central America and South America and where you are now. Um, how do those three places compare? And I mean, we're, I don't want to generalize three essentially large land masses because there's multiple countries within Central America, obviously, each of these continents, and then, you know, going through different states is different. But um, like you mentioned in the beginning uh, of our chat, you're like, well, actually, maybe it was before we started recording, but we're like, there's a, a difference between like when you're in the, a culture that you know, and you know, you grew up in the States, so you're familiar. And then when you cross a border, and there's a little more of like this naive sort of, you know, not really knowing what's going on around you as much because the awareness is just a a different culture. So uh, how was the experience walking through your own country? And then I guess I wanted to hear a little bit more about what it's like to go on foot through Central America and South America so far.
1: Yeah, so the U.S. was fantastic. I mean, it's... Not a place known for
0: walking, again, like as far as like no, all the highways and the roads and
1: it's true it's not but uh there's such a great network of roads um and that's one of the starkest things uh as a walker that you realize from the u.s and then as soon as you cross out of it is that like in central america and south america there there's highways or main roads that are paved but any road off of that is a dirt or rock path, but in the states, a dirt or rock path is like exceedingly rare. And even when you're in these old back roads, you can find these little shortcut back roads and walk through the woods, and you're on this little nice paved road, and it's it's nice peaceful walking. But the states was states, it's uh, I mean I took it for granted uh, growing up there. States is an amazing place, uh, so well developed. Um and then growing up there, knowing the culture, knowing the language, the people are fantastic, everyone's super, super friendly. Um supermarkets everywhere. Supermarkets are the greatest thing in the world, never take them for granted. <laughs> it's amazing. Um But uh so initially I was thinking of going to Portugal first and starting and just going through uh Europe, but I figured I wanted to go to South America, and if I start in the U.S., it'd kind of be like my training wheels. I'd be able to get my bearings, and then I'd be crossing out of the country, and I'd have a good idea
0: of
1: how to handle things. Um, and so, I had traveled, I guess, as far down as uh, as South Carolina before, and I've been to Florida and stuff, but I'd never been to Georgia. I'd played tennis in South Carolina, Florida. So then, once I once I got into Georgia, it was essentially a new country for me. Uh, I'd never been to Georgia before. And so Savannah is a beautiful place and crossing over. And then I was in the American uh, South during summer, which was excruciating and just brutal. There's hundred and ten degree days and I passed through this heat wave and at one point my hands swelled up to like my fingers were like you know, like bratwurst. And I had to sit in the shade until, you know, it passed. It was like 100 – heat index was 120-whatever degrees. Um, but so that was really tough. It was, the humidity was really tough. And in Alabama, there's just no wind. And it was brutal. But it's a beautiful country and walking through farmlands, endless farmlands, friendly people. Um, and it was nice just seeing a part of the country that I'd never seen before. And you see it at a very slow pace you pass through the farm towns you pass through uh these one horse towns where you know maybe there's a general store and not much else and then pass through the swamps of louisiana which were terrible for walking with mosquitoes and the humidity but so cool cuz you're seeing gators and these beautiful cypress trees and just this this like the country's so big and and diverse that You know, you could spend a lifetime in the States and still not see it all and and comprehend it all. Um, So it was really nice just seeing a different part of uh, the place that I've grown up in.
0: Hmm. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway. Not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries. Two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude Go. To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder from muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off the beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan pathfinder with seven drive modes the pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys and it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to 6,000 pounds so you can bring the fun with you but nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go in a pathfinder the real fun comes from getting there and that's something we love celebrating here on the zero to travel podcast we believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now let's get back to the show. Like you mentioned, there's a gradual shift in culture and climate when you're walking. It it doesn't sound like the heat wave was very gradual, but... uh, you know that's is that one of the appeals for you for uh in terms of like a mode of travel and walking being that preferred mode for you
1: yeah uh well, it's a very it's a very meditative the walk uh especially during the states what i found for the first 6 months uh until i got out of the states was like i started to think of it as Uh, Like I was gardening my mind or my past. And so as I was walking, I'd walk, you know, six, eight hours a day. And I would just go through my garden and and prune and weed a little bit until I had everything looking a little bit nicer. And then the next day, I'd do a little more weeding. And by the time I got out of the States, it was like I didn't have any – like right now, I have no problems. What are are the weeds? The weeds are just – uh, bad thoughts or bad habits or, uh, maybe, uh, you know, bad memories, uh, you lost a friend or, you know, if maybe with my, with my ex, it was like, if I had, maybe if I had done this or our life could have been like this. And with walking, you're able to play out just every possibility you can imagine. And, and you find that, You know, I'm glad I made the decision I made and everything is all right. You know, like I just don't have any problems. I've thought over all the bad memories. I've turned them over from every which angle and every shade of light uh, so many times that, you know, I can just cast them aside now and just just look at the road ahead of me. And uh, it's a really beautiful thing. And I, I, I didn't expect it. Uh, but when I, by the time I got out of the States, like I had, it was like I'd been purged and it was a wonderful feeling.
0: Yeah. Just for that reason alone. I mean, the walk has already been worth it, right?
1: Yeah. I recommend it to everyone. <laughs>
0: I, mean,
1: I think it's, I think it's very easy to, uh, neglect, uh, the care of, of your mind uh, and
0: when things are so, you know, when pretty, I think about it,
1: it's just kind of a passive thing, but walking is a, was a great boon towards that,
0: you know, uh, cause we're both from the East coast. I know that the atmosphere there is, it's very like high paced, kind of fast paced, I'd say high energy, sort of everybody like the hustle and bustle, like imagine what people think of New York city or whatever, but the whole, like, northeast area is got that like frantic energy vibe as far as i as far as my experience and like everybody not every i shouldn't say everybody cause I'm generalized but g- the general energy is that it's like very a little bit chaotic a little bit like fast pace maybe uh people are a little more on edge or maybe a little more angry than in other p- parts of the country it's not always true but you know, you've spent time in New Jersey, you know, you know what it's like. Do you agree? And like, how has it been to get out of that now?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, yeah, Northeast is is madhouse. And then even once you get into the American South, uh, people start, you know, you're waiting in line and people start talking to you and you're like, what is this? They're having a conversation waiting in line. I'm like, let's get down to business and it's, you know, I'm going to pay for this thing. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to say a word to anyone. Maybe I'll scowl at a few people but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh,
0: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you
1: get down south and it's, uh, the culture is different there immediately and, and people, start, it's a little slower. People are talking to each other and, uh, I mean, Central America is a whole nother world but, It's not like the Northeast. Northeast is a unique place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. And uh, I mean, like, there's part of me that I I love, that I grew up there because there's certain elements in my personality that obviously you're influenced by where you are that I like. But now I like to, you know, if you can kind of curate the uh, the good and the bad from every place you go, I guess. You know, when you're traveling like this full time, it it can, I, I know in my experience, I've had this feeling where like, sometimes I feel like, well, this is exactly where I belong. I belong on the road and this is home and this is just the way of life. And other times I felt like, am I just like an outsider looking in on everybody's lives everywhere I go? And am I just being an observer? Like, cause I'm not really participating in these communities. Like as a, as a community member, I'm just kind of walking through and passing through as a traveler. It's just a different, uh, it's just a different way of living, I guess. And, um, sometimes I would struggle with that a little bit because, you are a participant, but then you're like temporary. You're just like like this ghost passing through town. Like overall though, I felt like being on the road and and living on the road was, was the right choice. But do you ever feel that like sort of outsider looking in type of feeling? I
1: definitely, but I, I like that feeling strangely. Right. Uh, I enjoy, I definitely, I think it was most noticeable to me, uh, when I was in Veracruz uh, which is on the Gulf Coast of Mexico, and I stayed there for a week. My body was really tired. I, I had been, I had walked straight from the border, pretty much down to there. So I took a week off, stayed at an Airbnb, and I just kind of wandered through the city and saw the sights, and you know, sat in some cafes. And I didn't know anyone, and uh, I definitely just felt like a ghost. Um, but I like that. Uh, there's, it's nice it's i like observing it you're doing something without doing anything you know and you're seeing it this different culture and you're comparing it to how things you know how like how things are at home versus how things are there and so I, i like that aspect of it and um and then when i can talk to someone and get brought in for dinner or get brought in for a night that's great too he's You know, you feel like you're a little bit less of a goose, even though it's still in my mind that I'm going to leave in the morning. I'm going to leave in a few hours and we're we're never going to see each other again. You know, maybe email or something, but I'm going to be gone. And, uh, yeah, something I came to terms with a long time ago. And uh, like you said, it's just a different a different lifestyle. And uh, maybe you can't go as deep into a, a culture as if uh, I were in the Peace Corps and I would stay somewhere for two years. But, uh, you know, I get to, I get to, you know, walk down, walk down the street and sample all the different spices and try a little bit of everything and then see what I like.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't, I agree with you. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just, uh, just an observation of being an observer, I guess. And, um, you know, like when you, talk about passing through or living nomadically in that way for a period of time. I mean, it's also possible for you to do that at home. Like if you know, if you get into this routine, where like, Oh, you just go to work, you come home and you just do the same thing every night or whatever. Then like, you know, you could just as easily be a ghost at home too, if you're not doing things. So I don't think being on the road is a bad thing. Um, But it is something that popped up for me and I was curious what, what uh? How you thought about the long term sort of full time living on the road? Because really, you're not you're traveling, but really you're just living your life. You just happen to be living your life on the road because uh, at, at some point when you're traveling continuously, you're not really traveling anymore. You're just living your life. Like exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's not. And it is a different thing because then your your life is just has way you know more unpredictable like different types of routines. But you still have your routines, right? Like you still get up, you walk you have your coffee or whatever it is, if you can, and uh, you have to set up your camp at night or find your place to stay or whatever. I want to ask you about some of the logistics. Uh, but first you just mentioned, um, like talking to people and people coming up to you and I'm sure there's no shortage of conversations happening. You know, one of the great things about walking is you're like right there, you know, you're not in a car like surrounded by steel or whatever. And, uh, you know, you're pushing this giant trailer, so I'm sure it's a pretty good conversation piece. Uh, you know, this this, For this gringo just rolling through town. And uh, what's that been like? Like, I, I want to hear about the strange encounters, and then the encounters with strangers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I uh, mean, man, it's been a lot. Uh, yeah, so like you said, I'm pushing. I'm pushing this baby carriage. So I switched from the original car, and I'm pushing this baby carriage now. And, uh, it's this big red thing and I have my dog Savannah with me and I'm tall and white. And How tall are you? Uh, six two, maybe okay. six three. Yeah. Um, you know, in outside the U.S., i S I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. I got a lot of people talking to me. Uh, 99% of people are just, you know, just wondering what I'm doing. Why are you passing through here? Why are you pushing a baby carriage? What's in there? They get kids asking me what's in there, kids wanting to learn a little English or seeing if I know any Spanish. Uh, women, my mothers, daughters, whatever, love Savannah, I think she's the cutest thing. And uh, Like every day, every single day since I cross into Mexico, all the way through Central America, South America, every day, at least like five times a day, I'll have people asking me to give them Savannah. And at first I'm like, give give your dog away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're like, give her to me, give her to me. Or, you know, how much, or they're asking if she has babies, but like in Mexico, when it first started, I was like, ah, that's so funny. Like it's a nice compliment. But after like (laughs) so many times every day, like, yep, yep. She's my dog. They're they're Uh, serious. She's my best friend. I'm going to keep her for, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to her. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) So I've had, Countless offers uh, for Savannah. Obviously not going to give her away <laughs> to anyone. Um, but, yeah, as far as strange encounters, man, there's been a lot, a lot of strange people. Uh, there's, uh, let's see, border Mexico was, uh, I crossed in into, uh, from McAllen in the U.S. to Reynosa, and uh, before I went in, like a couple months before I went in, there was a big shooting in Reynosa, and it's not one of the safer border towns. Really dusty place, uh, and it was my first day out of the state, so I was in you know, a hyper-aware state. Um, but I met uh, at some gas stations, met a couple of drug dealers who work for the cartel, and they're telling me about working for the cartel and how little they get paid. It's like that's interesting. I'm gonna get out of here. I don't want to be anywhere near this. <laughs> um, and then you meet like strange. You meet, you know, I meet a lot of homeless guys uh, in the gente. Um, You know, there's people who are living on the street too, wandering around. Um, some more crazy than others. Uh, had it been scary? I had this encounter in Georgia with a guy who was really very, very sketchy. And I kind of later found out that he was like into me and in a very odd and dark kind of way. And so after that, I became, it was a good learning lesson. Um, Cause growing up in like a bubble in the Northeast and, you know, I went to like, went to a nice high school, safe place, went to a nice college, safe place. And I had never I never, I never had to grow that awareness, Uh, like like maybe like a female has to grow, where you get these creepy guys. Um, I just never that I never had to grow that, and the walk has had to force me to trust my feelings with a person, and so now when a guy or you know someone comes up to me and I don't immediately get that like good vibe off of them, I'm just like walk right by them, and there's a lot of that. Uh, I mean, there's Probably probably there's nothing to them. Probably they just want to see what's going on. But for me, it's like I'm meeting so many people every day. If I see a guy who just doesn't look like I want to have a conversation with, I'm not going to have a conversation with you. I'm just going to pass by you. Um, but then there's other people. Like the other night, uh, as I was telling you, like this woman invited me into your house. And for a brief second, I thought, you know, what do you think of this woman? Do you think it's safe to go in there? you think, you know, you're going to be robbed, anything like that? Because it's just me. i got to trust myself and – I'm on my own. So it's on my shoulders to protect me. Uh, So it's important to have those thoughts. And I had them and then it's like, no, she seems like a great woman. I have no, no bad feelings about her. Uh, She doesn't, she seems like a genuinely nice woman. So I went in, had a great dinner, met her family and she was, you know, she's wonderful. Um, But uh, as far as meeting these, you know, every day I'm meeting new people, people that I don't know. And I don't know their culture as well as I do. Back in the states, so I have to be more discerning. So just trust my gut. Uh, but most ninety nine point nine percent of the people are fantastic people. And when a car stops in front of you and like two guys get out in hoodies or whatever, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time they're going to smile and be like, "Oh, your dog's awesome," and like super, you know, look at uh, look at the screen gun. You know, they're just gonna, they're going to be nice. But you got to have that awareness at the same time and
0: just, you know, that's always a hard it. balance because you want to have those experiences with locals, like getting invited into the home and, you know, taking people up on their kindness if they want to offer it, but then you're also trying to be safe. So you, you have to be open enough to like have that cause that's part of the, the journey. Right. But then also you don't want to end up in the, in the Georgia situation where you have this guy following you or whatever. I'm guessing he followed you yeah. or whatever. So, um, yeah,
1: yeah, and there's like I, I I remember like reading about reading these articles of uh you know, kidnappings or whatever in Mexico or people getting taken and stuff like that. When you're when when you're first traveling and you're young, everything is bubbling and the world is bright and you're seeing it all through rose tinted glasses and that's great and the world is an awesome place and there's so many beautiful things and the people are super friendly and there's amazing food everywhere and the culture is different everywhere and the world is this fantastic awesome playground that you can go and explore, but like at the same time, people get kidnapped and there's not, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like you have to be aware of that. And so you can't just trust everyone willy nilly, but people in general are very, very good people. And people in general just want to live their lives. They want to, they want to work and they want to go home and be with their family. But it's, it's a skill that I've had to develop. And, uh, one that I guess I I kind of knew about before I left, but I didn't know the weight of which, like how important it was going to be uh, being on my own and uh, just having to rely on myself.
0: So let's talk about some of the practical stuff, like your budget. You know, how much did you save before you, you went? You said you were working in the solar industry and you've been saving sounds like you've gotten a couple sponsors along the way. And that was no small feat, no pun intended. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you want to break down, like, do you have, are you keeping a budget? I just, just trying to get an idea of what this is all costing you and, and how you've been able to, uh, we know how you've been able to afford it because you saved up for eight years and you worked your tail off. What are you spending on the ground? Where are you sleeping? Uh, how does, uh, all logistical stuff working out for you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, in the States, I, I got maybe a handful of hotels and that was only when like someone bought them for me, um, just camped every night.
0: Like people would come up to you and just say like, Hey, I'm going to buy you a room for tonight. Like, I think it's cool what you're doing.
1: I did have that a couple of times. Um, but more often it was like a family friend, uh, who maybe came down and visited me while I was walking and got me like dinner and then put me up for a night kind of thing. Uh, or used their hotel points to put me up. But, uh, through Central America camping mostly all the time, uh, in Honduras and El Salvador, the hotel rooms were like fifteen dollars a night, and I got one every night except for one night because uh, uh, El Salvador is in a gang war and Honduras is just not safe.
0: As opposed uh, to camping.
1: As, as opposed to camping, I was like, I'm not, not going to take any chances. I have some money saved up. I, I'm going to do that. But camping, like here right now in Ecuador, if I camp, I'll spend like seven dollars a day. And that's including uh breakfast and lunch, and then occasionally I' will to buy dog food is a little more, and maybe I'll spend like uh fifteen dollars a day with a dog food and you know maybe some if I can you know get something buy buy bread or whatever uh for uh when I'm in my tent but yeah, I mean uh just not getting hotel room and camping I'm spending just like I'm spending below like ten dollars a day. Costa Rica was expensive. Costa Rica is an expensive place. Uh, it varies country to country. Some are more expensive than others. Um, but yeah, I spend probably only like $10 a day, I'd say. Actually, before I left, I got my primary sponsor, Philadelphia Sign, uh, and the, the CEO and owner knew Anne-Marie, the girl who passed away. And I went to school with both of his sons, or two of his sons, in college with one of them. And so this article article came out about me, and he read it, and then he called, he invited me over to talk about sponsorship, and he just wanted to get behind me any way possible. So he gives, I, I get money biweekly from Philadelphia Sign, uh, and they donate a dollar a mile into Anne-Marie's Scholarship Fund. So it's a really cool partnership, and they're a great company, very green, and just like. Bob, the owner, is like super down to earth, great guy. Once I got that sponsor sh- sponsorship and I knew I would have a little bit of money coming in every week or biweekly, I put all the money I saved up and I just threw it all at my student loans so I wouldn't have to be paying that off. So now I have a little bit of student loans left and I have like nothing in my bank account, but it's being replenished every two weeks. Uh, so yeah, I live on like about 10 bucks a day, I'd say, and uh Don't have a nest egg, but, you
0: know, work. (laughs) Hey, well, these things all, yeah, I mean, you never know where things take you. And it sounds like you're getting also some help along the way from family, friends, from uh, strangers, beautiful strangers who are taking you in and feeding you. And, uh, you know, some of the best parts about travel are those those connections. Have you felt like Anne-Marie's presence on this trip at all?
1: I definitely feel I'm I'm definitely aware of it. Uh, And I definitely feel there's times I don't think of it every day, obviously, but there's times where it, it comes into awareness and I just remember just like how fortunate I am. Because this I, is how you know, it all
0: started, really. I mean, this this was the thing that kind of shocked you into... It's so strange
1: that, you know, she dies and I live and it's so binary. And I think about it that way and it's like it could have just as easily been me. And so I just try and enjoy as much as possible and, and try not to take it for granted and, uh, just remember how fortunate I am. You know, it's like any friggin' second yeah. you can go and then it's all blackness after that.
0: Yeah. I, it's a hugely important thing to remember, I think. And, and also such a great motivator, you know, it's like, I, I always say I'm like morbidly happy because it's yeah. like, <laughs> I think about, you know, death a lot in the sense that like, I don't, I don't have this idea. Like none of us are immortal. So it's like in that way, it's like a sen- it gives you a sense of urgency to do the things you want to do, like in a good way, because you're like, hey, we won't be around forever. Or like you, maybe your body won't be in this condition forever. You, you won't be this age you are now forever. I mean, there's so many things It's like all impermanent. So like it really is a carpe diem situation. I love that. When I was kind of
1: when I was 17, I was reorganizing my life in comparison to death one of the realizations that I had is that, you know, whether you're seven years old, you're 17, you're 27 or you're 70, it's all the same in the end. You know, if you're going to heaven or you're, you know, where you're just, you just, you're food for worms, whatever it is, it's all the same in the end. You don't get to bring any of it with you. And so just, it's, it's the poignancy while you're here. You can't let like, You can't let, um, this is dangerous. I can't do this because it's dangerous. So I'm just going to stay inside and and play it safe. You're going to die anyway. Go out and have an adventure and take your chances.
0: Amen, brother. What's something new you recently learned about yourself that you don't think you would have learned without this walk?
1: Uh, I'm better at languages than I thought I was. (laughs) Not to say that I'm great, but in high school, I was like, I'm never going to learn a language, but being surrounded by it helps a lot
0: (laughs) cool what about how you imagined this trip versus the actual reality of it how is uh has it been at all like what you imagined all those many years when you were laying in bed tossing and turning thinking "Oh, i'm gonna be here then this like what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah um i don't know i mean i don't know really what i what i I just thought it was gonna be, you know, big adventure. I don't know. In my naive northeast little bubble minds. definitely put America into perspective for me. Like, what a great country that is! Holy cow! I don't know. I also thought it was gonna be more like wild. You know, when I imagined I'd be waking up in El Salvador, I thought I was gonna be, you know, like in this totally wild, maybe on a dirt path, like jungle place. But it's no, I mean it's developed like anywhere else, more or less. And you know, you can get a hotel room if you want, and there's great food, the pupusas, the like cows! Oh my god, they're amazing! They're <laughs> like twenty five cents a piece. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just like it's more. You have like I had these like broad ideas, and now it's like filling in the details of you know what the world is actually like. Um, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, it's different, but I didn't go in with, like, insane expectations for anything. Yeah.
0: Are you planning a route along the way, or have you kind of sketched things out to a certain extent?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I have a rough path. Okay. Uh, um, but then, obviously, go road by road kind of thing. And uh, if I get warned off an area from locals and say, oh, I'll take this road instead of that road, I'll go that way, If there's a good shoulder, I'll take that one. So I work out the details as I go, but I have like the rough map of uh, the broad strokes of things, yeah.
0: What is the number one thing you want to achieve or do in the next five years during this walk?
1: Uh, Man, I'd love to have a book published. (laughs) Book published, that'd be awesome. And actually be making some money that I can save for when I get back. That'd be really nice, so I don't have to start at zero uh, when I get back. And I'm actually gonna be sending out queries to some agents uh, very soon, maybe in a week or so. I have a book written already about the first year, or so it's within uh, within reach, I, th- I believe.
0: That's awesome. I have no doubt um, that you'll work that out. I mean, you you certainly are somebody that uh, you know. Has dreams and then actually goes after them until until you achieve them. So I'm sure that it will be the same with the book or whatever it is you want. And uh, you know, I've been following your work at uh, theworldwalk. dot com and there's some uh, awesome articles there as well as pictures. Man, you're a really great photographer. Getting there. I, I love
1: it. I love it. I enjoyed a lot. Some days are easier than others to take it. When it's like 100 degrees out, I'm like, and I see a photo. I'm, like, ah, I'm walking. I'm not, I'm not for that five seconds to take that photo.
0: Now here is Tom when he was four years into his world walk, and this interview was recorded in June 2019. Here you are, three years later, and you're in Croatia, and you're still walking around the world. So, congratulations, man! <laughs> Thank you. Man. It's been,
1: uh, been a long journey.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, all right. So, of course, I have a million questions, but uh, the first one I'm going to ask is, how's your, how's Savannah doing, your dog?
1: oh uh, she's good, man. She's she's in perfect health. She's she's a beast. Uh, relaxing right now at my cousin's house. So she's just, you know, she just wants to walk all day. So. I'm walking her as much as I can, but yeah, she's in great health. She's happy.
0: How fit are you right now?
1: I'm I'm feeling good, man. We do 24 miles a day pretty easily and wake up each day, do it again. um, No problem. So I'm feeling good, man. Uh, Just moving along and uh, it's easy walking here in Europe. So feeling good. You've been doing this
0: for how long now?
1: Uh, So actually on the road, it's been uh, like 1,151 days.
0: Okay. Wow. Have you gone home at all or anything and then like just gone back and picked up where you left off or have you just been walking the entire time?
1: Yeah. Actually, after I finished South America, I went home to get Savannah's paperwork to enter Europe and I started getting kind of stomach cramps when I was back in the States. I ended up getting really sick, I started walking, I walked Ireland into Scotland and I got really sick. So actually I stopped walking for almost a year um, and I lost about 45 pounds and uh, I spent a month in uh, the Royal Hospital of London getting tests for parasites, all this stuff, they couldn't figure out what it was, eventually I flew back home, they were just throwing different antibiotics at it until something started working. and. Uh, I recovered and then I was working, uh, working out, going to the gym, building my endurance back. And then after, yeah, almost a year off, uh, because of this illness, um, then I flew into Copenhagen and started walking Europe, Europe again.
0: Did you have any doubts about starting up again or did you always know you were going to start up again after you solved this out?
1: Yeah, no, never a doubt. Um, no, never a doubt. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was not a great time. It was I was in a lot of pain all the time, but I was just all I was thinking about was once I get healthy again, get back out there.
0: I'm really sorry to hear that, man, yeah, I thought I read something somewhere about you being sick, but I had no idea that it was such a long and intense thing i mean forty five pounds you're you're like a very fit guy. I can't imagine you forty five pounds less I mean is there forty five pounds to take off of you even it's I know you're tall but
1: yeah i was i was like skinning it was probably another two months and that would have been end game (laughs) really yeah what what was it uh they didn't figure out what it was um the doctors just thought maybe i drank some water i shook someone's hand it was just some virulent bacteria just some freak thing um just a weird thing that i called that kind of sat in me and and grew and grew
0: so as you went back to the states you were getting stomach cramps then you went to continue your walk in Europe and then it hit you there. And then you were stuck in London basically.
1: Yeah. So yeah, when I got back stateside, um, I was just getting little stomach aches and I just thought maybe I was eating something, uh, strange or maybe it was being back with different bacteria in the water or something like that. And so it was just like little stomach aches. And then by the time I got to Ireland, the pain I was getting, like, oh, they were kind of like spasms in the stomach. Uh, were so bad. I was on the ground, just writhing in pain for a full minute at a time, couldn't see, just kind of black out for like a minute in pain, and it just got worse and worse. And then basically my body started attacking itself, so it wiped out all the good bacteria in my intestines. So I developed colitis and was bleeding internally, and I couldn't hold anything down, and wasn't uh, everything I was eating. I wasn't getting any nutrition from because it wasn't absorbing uh, in the intestines, and it was not a good time. It was just a lot of pain. I know when I was going through it, I wasn't depressed or really down even um, because I had walked, I had started what I've been thinking about since I was 17. I had walked from Philadelphia all the way down to Uruguay over two years and I had lived how I wanted to live. So if that had been the end, I, I would have been fine with that. I would have been content because gave it a shot.
0: Wow, man. I mean, that's crazy that you were going through that much pain and you were still having that kind of positive outlook. I mean, when you say... You were on the grounds and blinded in pain. That's that's serious pain, dude. I mean, when you were going through this for a year, were you in that kind of pain for a year? Was that coming and going like that, or that wasn't even the
1: worst of it? Um, but from from there on, it was probably about four or five months of, of going through the having those spasms, and uh, and then there's like two months where I had the colitis, and just like everything I ate was just. It was just pain all day and I was sleeping two hours a night and it was just yeah. There's like two months where it was just like just nightmarish. (laughs) It was
0: terrible. Well yeah, I mean that's I mean just from the exhaustion and the pain, I mean you could easily go the other way. By that I mean the dearly departed. You know, I mean it's it doesn't seem like it would be that far off when you're in that kind of situation. I mean also you know, when you look back on something like this and we're talking about it, okay, well, it's one thing it was like, all right, well, then, you know, th- it was like this for two months and then like, yeah, you're chunking out time. But like at the time, you you didn't know what this was or if it would ever go away, right? I mean, that's mentally taxing, dude.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, there's no clear end insight. And we we're going to doctors and they just couldn't, you know, I spent a month back and forth at the Royal London Hospital and getting every test under the sun in infections, in infectious disease, and they couldn't figure out what it was. Even going back to the States, they never figured out what it was. So they just, just like I said, started throwing antibiotics at it until one of them started working. And, uh, and then it got a little bit better and, and that kind of, and then in the corner, then once the bacteria was gone, then they could start fighting the colitis and everything else. Uh, So it was a long process and I never got too dark. It was just, exhaustion really from the pain and just like just get there it ends you know i was the weird thing about it i was back home this the blessing in disguise i was back home when uh the eagles went to the super bowl so that was <laughs> nice
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice man well i hope like the two hours you slept that day wasn't during the game because that was one awesome game man
1: <laughs> yeah. Just uh, months of agony for uh you know for for that reward, it was worth it. In case you're <laughs>
0: wondering why I'm giggling so much, because we're both from the Philly area, so we waited a long time for that. You know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't had any sign of any of that coming back or relapse no, or anything. No. Totally healthy. No.
1: Yeah, totally healthy. The biggest thing was, you know, after walking South America, after we spoke uh, in Ecuador. And then I I went through the desert of Peru and Chile for, I was in the desert for about five months. all The, the coast is all desert, so. Uh, and then crossing the Andes, where it went up to about 5,000 meters and it was extremely difficult walking. And I was just in such peak physical and mental condition. I was so honed in. And then to go from like my absolute peak down to my absolute lowest physically and probably mentally too, fitness, Coming back to Europe was really just – it was perfect timing because there's easy walking in Europe. There's bike paths. There's a lot of towns. It's developed. To go from such a low back into Europe, I could really ease myself back into things physically and mentally.
0: Right. Yeah, it's kind of like a nice runway, I guess, to get the walk going again. So what do you have left now? You've walked from after – you got through your illness and everything, which uh, we just heard that story. It's no small thing. But you flew back to London? Or...
1: Uh, so I picked up in Copenhagen, so Denmark.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, where you left off. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, no, you're right, though. I, I stopped in uh, in Scotland, but it was such, it was kind of difficult walking there because it was so cold and rainy. And I was like, I didn't want to go back into that not feeling 100%. So I started in um, Denmark, where I knew there'd be nice, flat, easy walking into Germany. Uh, through Germany, Belgium, France, Spain, and then uh, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, up Italy, Slovenia, now in Croatia. And so from here, uh, we make our way basically along the coast uh, to Greece and then across Turkey, uh, into Georgia, Azerbaijan, across the Caspian Sea, uh, a couple months in Kazakhstan, across Mongolia, and then fly down to Australia, across Australia, fly to California, across California, back to New Jersey.
0: Wow. So close, but not really. <laughs> no, I guess I'm like
1: halfway, long way to go. Uh,
0: it sounds close when you just rattle off because you think, oh, yeah, just take a bus here, fly there. But no, you're walking. Yeah. You're walking. Hey, that's it. You have so much experience now on the ground. I mean, just looking ahead, we're going to talk about where you've been, but do you look ahead and think, oh, I'm nervous about that? Or are you just kind of literally taking it one step at a time, one day at a time?
1: I'm through the worst of it. Central America was definitely the most dangerous part that I'll be walking through. Um, And the rest, the only thing that I think will be a pretty big challenge for me will be uh, going through Kazakhstan and Mongolia because it's about a six-month stretch there of walking. And since it's so far north, uh, I'll probably have to do it in summer or if I if I go into winter a little bit, it'll be, you know, pushing through snow and it'll be difficult going. So that's the only thing I got to figure out the timing of how I'm going to work that out. And but the rest of it, um, you know, I know what I'm doing now. I, I got everything down pat after South America and Central America. I know what I'm doing. I know how to, you know, get water, how to find food, how to find a place to sleep in strange places. Um, so I'm not too concerned. And the the countries from here are relatively safe. So, yeah, it should be it should be good going and uh, looking forward to it. All right.
0: Tell us how you do all of those things you just said, how you get yeah. water, how you find yeah. a place to sleep, how you get food.
1: Yeah, so uh, water, I carry obviously a couple water bottles. I have dromedary bags, which are just like six liter uh, impenetrable bags, so they don't puncture anything. They're very durable. That varies country to country. Uh, It depends, Uh, say in Peru, for example, I would only buy bottled water. So I knew, even when I was in the desert, I'd get to town, I'd load up on water, get the bottled water. Um, In other places, on longer stretches, maybe I have to filter water. Or in a developed place, like going through Italy, there's fountains everywhere. It's right, easy. that's easy. I'm thinking down.
0: like going through the desert, that would probably be the scariest, right?
1: Yeah. Um, the good thing is I'm generally walking roads. Uh, it's, uh, sometimes I walk past, but they're usually not that long. Roads are the best way to move internationally. Uh, so even like Kazakhstan, we will go through some very long stretches, uh, You know, maybe 200 kilometers, something like that, uh, without getting to a town. I should be able to bring enough, especially up there because it'll be colder. I won't be sweating. I should be able to bring enough because I push a cart that I can load up and, uh, you know, make that last, live on two liters of water a day, something like that.
0: Yeah. Food-wise, I mean, you're just carrying it all in the cart and everything, or are you? Are you have you become uh, an expert at scavenging or finding food along the way, or what have you been doing?
1: No, 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 and yeah, no, scab. I'm not like uh, I'm not like shooting squirrels or anything. <laughs> uh,
0: no,
1: yeah, it's just dry goods. You know, load up on granola, pasta, peanut butter, rice, uh, whatever is available in the country that's dry that I can bring with me. Uh, and then when I get down, then I just wolf down as much food as I can at a restaurant. Uh, drink a bunch of milk for the protein, calories, the fat. Uh, but otherwise it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's just, it's just, uh, knowing how to know what works and what doesn't work to bring. And that's only really just dry goods. And then when I get into town, chow down. And then as far as, uh, finding a place to sleep, that is, that's much more convoluted. That's much more of a, a feeling that you have to work out. Uh, and each country again has a very different feel. You get a feel for how far apart things are, how much people are moving outside, for example, like uh, when I was going through Morocco, I was going through there when there were long days and people were outside until 8.30, 9 o'clock. So I had to wait until right before sunset, basically, to find a place where someone would stumble upon me and that would be that. So it's really a feeling on the country and knowing the terrain and where to look for a place to sleep. And that's just something I've developed over three years of finding weird places to sleep.
0: We'll be right back. Sign up over there at zero to com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Fairly recently, I think I read a post on your blog. It was something sleep-related. I think you had a policeman with you somewhere or something. Was it Albania? I don't know. Uh, really sure. Where yeah. was it? Algeria. Algeria. Okay, yeah. Yeah. What happened? I mean, tell us some stories, man. <laughs> you got to have a few. <laughs> yeah, I got plenty.
1: Uh, Algeria was a crazy country. Uh, it's it's very closed off. Uh, they are insular. Uh, if you, it was a very difficult visa process. It's difficult to get a visa in and they don't grant many of them. So I took a boat there from uh, Valencia, Spain. The border of Morocco and Algeria is closed. So you got to take a, a ferry down. And I get off the boat and basically as soon as I get to, you know, I walk with just like not many, just some Algerians and I get to the border control and they see the American passport and like right away, they call over the police. And from that point on, as soon as I got to the the, the passport check-in, uh, I had police with me through the entire length, 24-7, a police escort with me, the entire length of Algeria. Really? And, it was a very good thing at first because I had, it was like some of these guys spoke a little bit of English and it, I could get local tips. I'd get into a town and I'd say, you know, where can I eat here? And they'd take me to a place and we'd have good food. Uh, and it was nice to have company.
0: Were they, yeah. Would you buy them dinner? Would they buy you dinner? How did that work? Uh, oh, just, yeah. Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd buy them dinner. Yeah, sure. I mean, it wasn't expensive. Yeah. You know, just sardines and bread. and. Well, I mean, how many, uh, wait, yeah. how
0: how long was the walk through Algeria?
1: That was... 45 days.
0: 45 days? They gave you a police escort the whole time?
1: The whole time, man. And sometimes it was like, there was a point.
0: Because they wanted to watch you or because they didn't think you were safe?
1: They went through a really violent time with the Civil War uh, back in the day. And so the police has a really strong presence just everywhere. Even if I wasn't there, there's basically at every town, uh, at like the roundabout entering every town, there's a police checkpoint area, and this just is like through it is to make sure there's no extremism entering the country. There's no, there's, it's a very safe country, and it's was it before the military or is it because of the military? Um, but so they already have a very strong police presence. But as far as why they were escorting me, I think it's just because I don't know. I mean, they don't let a lot of tourists in, and I'm an American walking through there. They don't want any bad press. I would guess that's it, but it was an insane experience. There's times when I was walking, there's like literally like twelve guys. There's like three cars at points, and I'm just a guy pushing a cart with my dog, and I have like an SUV in front of me, two SUVs behind me. It was crazy,
0: <laughs> and just going, going really slow because you're just walking, right? Like yeah,
1: just walking, and as soon so as like surreal. Something- it was surreal, man. And as soon as someone would come and talk to me, like, normally I'm in whatever country and people, when they are out walking, people want to come and talk to you and see how you're doing, whatever. You just run into people. But it was, in Algeria, it was like someone came over to talked to me. All the police were out, like, right away interrogating this guy. What do you want with this American? And, uh, so it was, it was a very different experience for sure.
0: So in that way, you got to hang out with locals and meet locals, but only police locals, right? Because you couldn't get yeah. near – the other locals because the police would swarm them if you did
1: yeah yeah in in that way it was it was a little sterile in that way for sure and also the other thing was they wouldn't let me camp uh just because i will say it's unsafe you can't camp so i had to get to a hotel every night and it really like wore on me where especially in the last like two weeks of algeria the hotels were far apart a lot so usually it was like 30 miles and i was going through there when it was ten hour days of sunlight and I would have to do ten hours of walking. So I would literally walk sun up to sundown to get to this hotel so they could like so that I could stop. So they were really long days. And by then I had been with these guys and you just it's not that they're not good guys, but just being watched all the time yeah. it ends up driving you crazy. Right. And so Sometimes you just want to sit and relax and just like chill and just be in my own thoughts. Instead, I have a police guy come over to me, ask how I'm doing. It's like, dude, you're a nice guy, but I just want to sit here and just be like an idiot and zone out for – I'm so low on blood sugar and tired. I just want to zone out and think nothing. But you have these guys who come and want to talk to you. It was was a really different challenge uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, like the police are – they were great – just the presence of just always having eyes on you—it yeah. wears on you.
0: Obviously, you didn't know this when you chose to walk through Algeria, right? I mean, you had no idea this was going to happen because you essentially picked your route, right? I mean, you're walking around the world, but there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, what drew you to that country?
1: Yeah, so I, I wanted to walk through some of Africa, but the big problem with walking Africa is need a lot of visas. If I wanted to walk from the north to south. so many visas it would end up taking years just getting the visas for these countries it's a huge continent and so i I wanted to do some of africa and basically the best way to do that was just do the north i just do morocco where i don't need a visa i would only need to apply for algeria and then i could do tunisia without a visa i would have loved to have gotten to egypt and like but the problem is libya is a total mess right now uh lots of warring factions so i'm not going to walk across Libya right now. So it was just those three countries and uh, Algeria was the biggest and in the middle. And that's how I wound up there.
0: Wow. That's a crazy story, man. All right. So what are some other things that have happened along the way? That's a very open-ended question. And I know you could go a million directions with this, but yeah, I want to hear some tales from the road, man, because I know you got a few. Yeah.
1: And I mean, there's been a bunch. Of, I've stayed uh, stayed with locals in Morocco, uh, stayed with locals in Tunisia, some young people that showed me around Tunis, which is a beautiful white city that you just never really hear about. Um, I can't recommend Tunisia enough. It was beautiful country, super cheap, really friendly people and democratic, open-minded. Yeah. And then getting into Italy, you know, I'm sure you've been to Italy. Italy's like just this beautiful country, and it, it lives up to all the hype. Every every town is so filled with history. Everyone's so well dressed, and it's easy going. I mean, Europe's been a very different experience in a lot of ways than, you know, South America. South America is very wild, and Europe's been pretty easy. So I'm I'm looking forward to moving along into some wilder countries. But I mean, the greatest stories that have probably come out of, you know, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia. I slept in some weird places met strange people
0: what do you mean strange people in what way
1: so i don't know for example in in algeria i get into this town one day and this is after this probably like the longest day where i walk like maybe 36 miles in the state to end up in this town and i'm like delirious there's no hotel there but the police tell me we have a place that you can stay and it's like this big ordeal there's like 25 policemen in this like all working just to find me a place to stay and so I get in the, get in the van they take me up to this uh <laughs> take me up to this like I think it's going to be I don't know some government building or something like that or maybe like a they have a lot of youth hostels um and I thought maybe it was one of those it ends up being like this guy uh who uh like works on cars like up in the mountains and it's like this really kind of like it's, it's like a sketchy place. I'm way up in the mountains and they have a couple dogs who are kind of beaten up, but they're nice enough. And they have a, they have a macaque monkeys there in Algeria and they have a macaque monkey like tied up. And I'm like, this is like really bizarre. My head's kind of spinning right now. And, but so I get put into, into this garage and there's a little back room and I sleep on the sofa with this heater and uh, the owner's sitting with me there. He doesn't speak any English. So like they bring me some food and I'm just sitting there like in silence, and nodding, and and he's just sitting there in silence and and there's stains on the wall, it's concrete, and I don't know where I'm at, I don't have internet connection, anything like that, and so I just really you know you have to put your trust in the police and they got me all this way, yeah, I felt a little off, you know, and it was just it was it was just that I was so far away from everything and I was out of internet connection and it was. Yeah, it was a little off. It was a little rough. But I could tell the guy that he was a nice guy. And so i was like, okay, that assuaged my fears. But everything else about the place, it was like I couldn't lock the door. And there's, you know, this big hole in the wall. So I put my cart in front of the door, like the guy could just easily just come through this hole in the wall. And I'm just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm just going to fall asleep. And that's all you can do. Like, I'm, there's nothing else I can do at this point. Fall asleep, hope for the best. Uh, and it was fine. And they're nice guys. Yeah, there's, there's certain points where – you know, you just have to trust this local and, and it's fine. Yeah. And, and it works out most of the time.
0: I mean, for me, I think one of the most psychologically challenging things would be the finding the place to sleep outside at night, you know, night after night in countries all over the place. You're going through urban areas, suburban areas, like uh, outskirts of cities. You're just in so many different types of environments. And I mean, anybody listening to this, just take a walk around and look around and just figure out a place to sleep at night. It's not always (laughs) that straightforward, right? Yeah, you can find a place to sleep. But are you going to feel are you going to get trouble? Are you going to feel comfortable? Are you going to be like scared the whole night that you can't sleep? I mean, how do you deal with all this?
1: It's such a challenge every night. Uh, most of the time that it's it's like a big it's kind of like a game and it's 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 oddly fun in a way because you really it's like this huge puzzle you have to figure out you have to find you're weighing all these different things the best is like in the desert it was great because you know no one's going to show up you just walk in the desert it's perfectly dark but like you said there's other times walking through colombia or argentina where it's a little more populated and you don't know maybe how safe it is and you gotta find a place to hide away but the thing is also about it is that when the sun's going down, you don't have a choice. you got to find somewhere. And some places are less than ideal. But generally, once it's dark and you're hidden away, you're good. I mean it would take crazy odds for someone to stumble upon you unless you're on someone's land or something like that. If I'm somewhere – if I can find a little patch of woods or an abandoned house or something, hug myself away in there, not use my headlamp or anything like that. The odds of someone stumbling upon me, Who's gonna be wandering around, you know, at night through these forests or wherever it is. It's really just make it until dark and then it's probably good. Uh so don't get caught during the during abandoned the
0: house sounds kinda of scary. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, no, I've done a lot of abandoned houses and at first uh at first i remember like one of the first ones i stayed at was in ecuador and i, I was just, like it was so hard to sleep and i slept right like there's a stairwell and you know you sleep on the second floor but the entire night you're thinking like someone's going to come in here for sure but then all through peru uh in peru they have this weird law where if you build a house on some land and you are living in it for 10 years, then you just own that land. So what happens is these rich people build like these little brick houses. They pay a homeless guy to live there for 10 years, and then they own the land. And so they're all along the desert, these abandoned houses. And I was sleeping in them all the time. And after a while, I was like, I would only look for them because, after, you know, like, even in these huge, there would be, like, these developments of empty houses, and there would be one guy living in this development. And you could find – sleep on the outskirts of one of these houses you'd find where you'd be in the desert and there'd be nothing around except this one little house. And they were great. You're out of the wind and you have a little concrete you can cook on. And I, I started looking for those.
0: Even though the sun's going down, you're like, all right, we well, can always find a way to tuck away. But can you, I mean, there must've been some nights where you're in urban areas you're just like, all right, where am I actually, where am I going to go? And then do you just get a place to stay or?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean through Central and South America, I was really tight on money through the entire way. So it was extremely rare that I got a, a hotel or something like that, unless the country was really cheap. Um now in Europe it's especially through Italy, it was really difficult finding places to sleep. But you can generally find a campsite. Um it's been more it's been more of a mix in Europe between hotels and camping. Like I said in the Americas, I was camping like probably 28 out of 30 nights i was camping the entire time pretty much and here um with uh with patreon i'm able to get some more hotels when i need to which is great um kind of take some of the adventure out of it but it, it's it's good it's a good thing
0: i think you've earned your adventure stripes man <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah <laughs> um it's a big enough adventure
0: <laughs> um,
1: but all, as like – I remember one in specific actually that I was thinking about going through Panama and like looking back on it, it was an insane place to sleep. And actually I've had, I've had a couple of these. But I was walking the Pan American and I'm kind of like up in the mountains and the road is pretty small. There, so there's not a ton of cars. But I, everything – was it was so steep on either side of the road and it's kind of really thick, almost jungle. So there's nowhere I could get in and like find a place to sleep. And I just walked – and this happens – a decent amount of time, but I just walk, and then it was dark, and there was no to sleep, and there was literally just like a patch of grass on the side of the road. So I just laid my, and it's kind of in this little ditch. I laid out my tarp and just as I fell asleep right beside the road. It could have been so easy to find me. I'm right there, uh but I just laid there, didn't turn the headlamp on. I'm kind of hidden. Fall asleep, wake up before sunrise, and I'm gone.
0: Okay. And the setup is just a tarp and a sleeping bag. Is that?
1: Uh, that's what it is. In I was up in the mountains, so there's no mosquitoes or anything like that. And that was low profile because uh, if I had set up the tent, it would have been people would have seen me. And then I could use the tarp as well. You know, there's no rain, there's no bugs. But generally, yeah, I set up. Uh, I set up the tent.
0: Yeah. Do you set up the tarp when you have just the tarp set up, like the minimal setup? Do you just set up the tarp like a tent and sleep under it or how do you sleep
1: on it i sleep on the tent or on the tarp
0: you just lay the tarp on the ground and just sleep on it yeah yeah yeah. got it
1: it's nice that's the best man that's the best best sleeping
0: how did you get through the darien gap is that's the connection point between panama and south america right but it's like a wooded area do you have to go around that or how does that work
1: yeah i flew over it um I think I think there's been a handful of people who have crossed that. That's I think like a Carbos serious Beach,
0: thing. You can't really yeah. just do that.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's super like dangerous. Swamp there's no roads through it. There's narco traffickers through there. I mean, unless you're like that's an event, that's whole thing in itself, and there's. Yeah, that's uh I'm not, I'm not I'm not that big of an
0: adventurer. Uh, no, I was going to say if you walk through that then that's just crazy talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I imagine you landed in Ushuaia to the southern tip of South America in Argentina, right? It's a beautiful area down there. Um how did you feel when you got there? When you hit the southern tip of South America, was it anticlimactic or were you just like fall on your knees. Oh my God, I did it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you're at the end of the world. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful area and, uh, to get down there and then I took a, a a ship to Antarctica. So I was able to plant my feet on Antarctica for a little bit. I mean, you're just going, especially when you're going down to Antarctica, you're on like an alien planet. There's no of humans and it's just another world. But yeah, finishing the Americas was, is monumental. And when I, even when I look back on it, even then, I was thinking like, you, you just walked the, it's insane. You just walked from Philadelphia all the, you know, down to Uruguay. It was insane. That's crazy.
0: It's nuts, man. I I mean, it's out of your front door, right? That's the thing that's even, I, I just love that idea. I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast before, just the idea that you can leave your front door and go on some epic adventure like this. And you have done that. And it's, It's so inspiring, man. You mentioned uh, Patreon. If you want to just drop any links here now, if people want to support your adventure, um, where can they do that?
1: Yeah, it's just uh, The World Walk across everything. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, YouTube.
0: Way to grab that handle. That's easy, right? The World Walk. I mean, there it is. That says it all. Okay, so it says a lot that you've been to all these countries and you were really digging Italy. (laughs) What is it about... Italy that's been so special in terms of traveling through on foot
1: yeah I mean Italy's just there's it's so dense in history I've never been to a place where even the little villages uh, in Tuscany or in southern Italy or in uh, in Sicily you know every village is a beautiful church and beautiful little square and it's just every square into this place is just it's just I and mean, it's beautiful it was easy walking comparatively. Uh, but Sicily I was up in the mountains and then, uh, from Rome to Florence across the mountains a little bit. And it's a nice variety. You walk along the coast, beautiful. Uh, the mountains are beautiful. It's just, and the people. there's great coffee. The food is great. They're all so well-dressed. It's just like, it's, it's, uh, and there you
0: are pushing your cart. (laughs) haven't oh, showered yeah. in days <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are you showering in rivers and stuff like that if you're outside for a while or do you just wait till you get hotel rooms and things like that
1: no yeah sure i mean if there's nice water definitely jump in and yeah i mean i do when i obviously want to get to a shower but yeah if it's a nice a nice river creek or something it's hot yeah for sure jump in there
0: you must have learned a lot in terms of like how much you've packed on your cart and everything have you stripped down things pretty good
1: yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly what I need. Uh, nothing of excess. Uh, I use everything. Uh, it's, it's like a balance of – so, for example, say I carry some, like, gorilla tape with me, and I almost never use it, but it's the type of thing that I don't want to be somewhere without. It's so useful when I do need it, so that's, like, a weight worth carrying, and so it's always – it's just weighing – uh, also how vital this thing is, uh, versus how much goes away versus how often am I going to use this thing? And I definitely have it pared down to everything I have is, uh, either extremely important or I use it every day.
0: What kind of reaction do you get when you tell people what you're doing? Like, do you try to keep that on the DL when you're interacting with somebody or if they ask, you'll tell them, or do you let fly because you know it makes a good story it makes it makes it a lot easier to connect with people when you have a story like that right
1: yeah generally i just i'll say you know if i meet someone i say oh i try and connect with them oh i've been somewhere that's similar i've been like this is how Colombia was or you know this is el salvador because when i say uh around the world it ends up just dominating the conversation and i have this i have to explain they say you're Walking around the world, is it you're walking? And he's like, you, well, how do you mean? And then it ends up just being the same conversation most of the time, okay? Yeah, I just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm walking, I walk and I camp, and I walk and I camp, and I walk and I camp, and that's it. Well, I usually just, yeah, I, I let it kind of slip under the radar if I can and try and have a conversation with the local and learn more about them.
0: How are you different from the guy who stepped out of his door in uh Philly those years ago? I was at however many years it's been now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's 2015. Um, I thought I was somewhat worldly back then. And looking back, you're just such an idiot and (laughs) didn't know anything about the world. I mean, just in life, you know, you don't change like in one moment and like I'm a different person now. It's kind of this gradual thing. And I'm so much more, I've seen so much more. I've seen different cultures, different people, different foods. I've been through like such challenges and test of of will and physically that i'm just more worldly and more sh- assured of where i am where i stand in the world and then the other thing i would say is uh, that came f- uh, out of walking itself it was kind of a byproduct of just walking every day so say for example uh it's getting towards the end of the day i'm still feeling good or there's uh maybe uh I, maybe i'm at a nice campsite right now and it's say it's six o'clock and the sun goes down to eight o'clock so at six o'clock i see this nice green field or something oh this perfect campsite at first i would keep walking i'm trying to get as much miles as i can in and then call it a day and find somewhere to sleep but after a while i started realizing like i'm going to walk another hour i'm going to walk three miles uh, this is a twenty-five thousand mile walk i can wait i can hold I can see those three miles till tomorrow and this has sort of affected everything in my life you know, with the photography where with my photography I don't really try to I don't have any angst over it. I, I like I need to become a better photographer it's just trust the process kind of thing take one good photograph and try and get a little better in that and do that every day and you get better and so it's taught me the way I think about it is you you can't walk around the world in a day as with any project so just take it one little piece at a time and then that's it. Be satisfied with your day. I walked twenty miles a day. I walked 18 miles. Okay, good job. Do do whatever you got to do tomorrow.
0: The the pace of walking around the world has slowed you down in all of your other activities, right? Uh, it sounds like it's that's a nice zen place to be.
1: Yeah, it got rid of. Um, I think uh, in Western culture, or just like. And there's a lot of competition, and so you feel like you're always behind when you're trying to do something creative and that you need to do something more, but you just got to control what you can control. Do a little bit, and it'll add up to something bigger, and I, I've come to apply that with basically everything, and so, yeah, it removed a lot of angst.
0: That's a big thing, I think, if you're able to shed that Western mindset, which we're brought up in, which is that idea of... More is better, always wanting more, needing more, getting needing to get better, like you said, this sense of urgency. And particularly, I I mean, I can't speak for everybody, and but I can relate to what you're saying totally being from the Northeast, and there is something with the hustle and bustle of the Northeast, but this is just generally in America, and I don't want to speak for other Western cultures, I guess, because we grew up in the States, but it is there is this very much this what we just described, right? So to be able to shed that is a, is a total life perspective change. I mean, that completely changes your life, right? Like your approach to everything.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, like you said, uh, in, especially in the Northeast, which is a very fast paced area of the States and it's built around these huge uh, metropolitan areas where there's a lot of competition. uh, You definitely have this expectation that you need, to uh, you know, fulfill these certain requirements. You need to have the bigger house, you need to have, you're in a lot of competition with basically every aspect of your life and your own show. And that kind of, the competition just forces you to think that if you're not there immediately, then you're just, you're no good. And, and you're, you're, you know, or you need to get there faster and everything you do has to be hundred percent. It has to be, you have to maximize. You listen to all these podcasts now. A lot of the podcasts, I listen to podcasts all day. But like this theme that you just hear about all the time. is just like, here, here's how you can learn more efficiently and do this more efficiently and this will make you more productive. And this right, is right.
0: You more right. Productive.
1: <laughs> right. It just it drives me freaking crazy. It's just take the photograph, do it, write a thousand words, do the podcast and improve that 1%. Just a little, just by doing it, you're going to improve because you're going to be critical of yourself. And that's enough. And just chill out, do a little bit each day and that's it. <laughs> and if you get better, good, if not, whatever.
0: I think you should write. A, I think you should start a podcast, and this is just that. It's just a five minute episode. Just we'll just take <laughs> that audio clip. We'll publish it. <laughs> there it is. Everybody, just chill out. You're gonna do yeah. it better over time. Everybody, freaking relax. Okay. <laughs>
1: That's it. That's it. Five minute podcast.
0: <laughs> when you came home, obviously you started having the pain and everything like that. But was it strange to be back in the states? Like sickness stuff aside, uh, what was that like?
1: Um, I remember when I, when I first went back after, uh, I remember driving down our like main street in our town and I grew up in like this nice little suburbs in South Jersey. And I remember driving down the street and being like, this is utopia. Like this place is so nice and I did not appreciate it. I sidewalks. Everything's clean. Trash cans, nice street lights, coffee shops. Like I grew up in a utopia.
0: You're really seeing I, it for the first time in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah, you see how and it's not to say like in Argentina or in you know in the mountains of Colombia where most people live uh in a concrete house, maybe with a tin roof. There's rebar on top so when they have money because they can't get bank loans, so when they have money they build a second story kind of thing, and they live in very small square footage. It's not that they're any more or less happy, but to see that and to see uh you know the quality of things that we have in America and of infrastructure, uh, it's like you go back and like I went to a great school and my town is very safe and it's super calm and, you know, and there's, it's just a nice place. And to go back there, like you realize, man, I was I won like basically the lottery of where I could have been born and and the time and everything. So it's very appreciative of that. Uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, when I was sick, it was just, I was, I wasn't anywhere. I was just uh, existing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it must have been strange too, to maybe run into some old friends and you just, you've just had all these experiences and it, it was hard to relate in some way. I mean, you can't articulate everything you've been through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you grow. I mean, and I think I grew more than most people do in two years. So I definitely felt separated from them in a certain way. It was nice to go back and just like hang out with them and relax and you know just be totally comfortable. And after being when I'm on the road, I don't really have any deep connections with anyone. I meet people maybe for a day or two and it's nice. But to go back with my friends where I've known these guys for years, it was it was great. I mean I could, you know, joke with them and relax. And we speak the same language and we have the same rhythm of humor. Uh and that's nice. Uh, but then, you know, a, a, you know, a certain part of me is thinking, you know, I just, I'm a different person and I, I've seen different things and, and, uh, but I don't, you know, that's not, nothing to hold against them. And, uh, it's just, we're slightly different people and, but yeah, it was just, uh, it was more or less, it was just, it was good to see them because I needed some good, I needed to be able to joke with people and I needed to be able to have some good conversation.
0: You needed some good old fashioned, uh, Philadelphia ball busting, it sounded like. That's it. Right? <laughs> I'm glad to hear you haven't uh, lost your accent either, which is good. I have it. Well, you mentioned seeing friends and missing friends. And uh, in the first podcast we recorded, because I listened to it before we chat today, and you talked about some of the things that you were having to sacrifice for the walk, right? You hadn't uh, seen your family since Georgia at the time. You had to give up a girl you were in love with. All the sacrifices you've made to to do this walk. How do you feel about the sacrifices now, four years later?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of almost forgotten about. Uh, this is just my life now. Uh, I think back then when it was a year ago, a year after I started, or a little over a year, it was still more, more poignant. It was still closer in the rearview mirror, all these things that kind of, this big change in lifestyle, but now there's just my life. And when I look in the mirror, mirror it's just walking. So, uh, yeah, I don't really, I don't really think about it. I mean, with the family, you definitely give away the the thing I think about more, especially I turned 30, uh, in, earlier in April and you kind of get like nesting syndrome where you're like, I need to get a house and, and get my plot of land and, and have a wife and kids and something like that. And I think that was more challenging because it wasn't something that i like it wasn't some person or some physical concrete thing that i gave up it was more uh, like this this lifestyle that i chose to push back and uh when i was really craving it going to like, spain and morocco and algeria for some reason i was really having these like i i was just fantasizing all day of like the house i was going to build it was this lifestyle that i can have and it took me months to get past that and then just relax again and settle into the walking that was the choice with this walk-in is that life is kind of, I think it's up to timing. And when I'm young and I don't have responsibilities, that's when I need to do this. And later I'll be able to get the house and the wife and everything else. This is the choice I made. And yeah, it's, it's has uh, got to live with it.
0: How are you enjoying the lifestyle of being on the road? I'm not comparing it to like the other lifestyle you could have, but just taking it for what it is. How are you enjoying it?
1: It's like the greatest thing ever. It's amazing. I mean, I think even just the physical aspect, I'm using my body eight hours a day. And that's something I think we forget that where we came from evolutionary, you know, you're runners and we're hunters and we're always using our body. And it's just so good for you. Feels so good. When I'm on the road, besides this terrible illness, which was a free thing, I'm never sick. I don't get the sniffles. I never like get congested. I'm just I feel good all the time. My brain is sharp. And when I get in my 10 at night, I'm tired, I'm ready to sleep. And when I wake up, I got a full night's sleep, I feel good. There's a certain amount of regularity, which is nice. And uh, so I wake up, eat, walk, find a place to sleep. And so I do have my rhythms, but within my rhythm, every day is something different. And I meet a different person or have different food. So it's like the perfect balance of scheduling and and control versus serendipity and being open to things happening.
0: Hmm. Are you disconnected? Uh, you have, I mean, you're doing blogging, obviously. You have your computer with you, I'm guessing. Yeah. Do you have a smartphone with you? Yep. All right. How much are you on those types of things? I mean, it sounds like you're listening to podcasts a lot of the day. Tell me about your relationship with technology while you travel.
1: Yeah, um... I've mean, been I to the podcast pretty much all day. Uh, I mean, so for will go hours without listening to it, and it's a little more meditative. Uh, but technology, it's crucial. I mean, my phone is the ultimate Swiss army knife. And, you know, so it's got the GPS in it. It's got a flashlight. It's got music. It's got podcasts, um, It's got weather. It's got everything in there. And so I bring external batteries with me to power it. I'm not like screen time on the screen all the time, uh, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts and it's just such a useful tool. I mean, there's no reason to go without it uh, in Peru, for example, going through the desert, like with, I didn't have any service. So I usually just left my phone off most of the time. And those are really to meditative quiet hours. And I'll probably have that again in Kazakhstan and Mongolia. Uh, but it's nice when I get to a hotel to be able to call my family and connect with them for a little bit and uh you know have a conversation in English and yeah it's a crazy time we're living in man
0: What do your parents think about this right now now that you're so far into it
1: Oh it's just life you know it's just life They just it's
0: become just... acclimated to it essentially
1: Yeah my mom was you know she was definitely more hesitant about me going before Is her baby boy leaving on this big adventure uh, my dad was like, yeah, go for whatever. Hey, it sounds great. Uh, but now it's just
0: sounds great. Go walk around the world. See ya. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're yeah. <He's> so nonchalant. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just life now, you know, and, and I know what I'm doing and I, I'm through the most dangerous countries. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just normal.
0: Speaking of dangerous, did you experience any dangerous situations along the way so far or?
1: Yeah, um, in Panama, uh, I got held up uh, at knife point in Panama City, um, but it ended up working out. It was, you know, it was fine. Nothing would happen. I got kind of like backed into a shop. Another guy grabbed my backpack, which had all my important stuff in it. But amazingly, like there happened to be police there, and they grabbed the guy with my backpack right away. Uh, so I got, I got super lucky. Um, so that was fine. And then other than that, no. I mean, every once in a while this is another thing, another way I grew, you know, when when I'm growing up in the suburbs, I just, everyone's nice and the town is safe and I don't have any sort of sense for people and whether I should trust them or not in any sort of dire sense. But as I go and you meet people and you find some stranger people, some that you just don't trust. And when I'm on the road and I'm, it's just me. So I have to trust myself and I've gotten really good at, I remember in Argentina, yeah, it was Argentina, like right, right after these salt flats. This guy was kind of following me, trying to talk to me for a while, and I just didn't have a good sense about him. And before, I would have probably just like put up with him, but then I was just like, "Dude, I'm walking alone. Leave me the hell alone. I don't want like I don't want you follow me," kind of thing like this. And and then just walked on. And so there's there's definitely a growth where I just learned to like I'm going to meet someone else down the road. And if you get a bad vibe some, from someone, I just cut it off. On to the next thing, but there's definitely been nights. I mean, there's there's sketchy nights in, in Morocco, sleeping in weird places in these little valleys, and I'm just like, try and make as little noise and show as little light as possible. Uh, But you no, know, everything there hasn't been anything besides like getting held at knife point in Panama City. Besides that, it's been smooth sailing.
0: It's yeah. <laughs> good to hear. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. you're getting your street smarts. I guess you would call that right. Just kind of, oh, yeah, they're honed when the spidey sense is tingling. You just speaking up instead of kind of letting it happen, and that that is something you have to learn. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs as well, and you know, just not accustomed to being in any inner city environments when you're younger. And then you have to learn. Okay, well, hey, I got to kind of suss things out sometimes and protect myself, and if that means speaking up verbally or whatever. It can be. Yeah. Can be a tricky thing. You know, you also want to stay open and be able to meet people, but at the same time you got to trust your instincts, right? Yeah. Uh,
1: and you want to be to Just be polite. You got to be polite to everyone. Just be polite. Don't hurt anyone's feelings. And, and yeah, you don't want to be mean or anything, but like, if you don't get a good vibe from someone, that's okay. Just leave. You're going to meet someone else later. You And, and that's like, that's the thing too. Yeah. You want to be open to things, but there's, you're going to meet plenty of people when you're traveling. You don't have to trust every single person.
0: Right. Uh, how about uh, kindness of strangers? Because we talked about some of the dangerous stuff, but I'm sure you've had plenty of uh, of that. So you want to share a story or two, some, some amazing serendipitous things or just really nice people that have helped you out along the way?
1: I mean, in a general sense, it's just endless. I mean, I've been helped so many times. On the road, people stopping to give me food, um i've been brought in in probably every country i pass through someone has given me a place to stay on uh, the scale on statistically so much like uh, a million to one good, bad things happening and uh, i think people forget about that when you see the news it's very easy to blow up things in your head that it's the world's a dangerous place but people are just people everywhere in algeria i mean the, the the Muslim culture, they're really, really welcoming. They're extremely, when you're in their home, they really go out of their way to make you feel welcome. And so going through Algeria, I had—I have a, a MasterCard debit card. And there was only like three cities or maybe four cities that had a bank where I could withdraw money from with MasterCard. And I didn't realize that. I had a bunch of money, cash coming in because I knew I needed cash. And then I was in, I was able to stay with some Friends, friends of friends in their houses at the beginning. So I wasn't spending that much money. And I get to Algiers, which is the capital. There's an ATM there. I think, oh, I have money. I don't need it, I'm fine. And I didn't know at this point that the MasterCard was the only thing, the only way to uh, I needed certain banks to withdraw money. And then so I start walking again, and I find myself, the police are saying, you need a hotel every night. I found myself going through my cash really quick. And I found myself in a hotel without any money, basically. And I I text my, my friend of a friend who's on the other side of the country. I'm like, Hey dude, uh, you know, I don't have any cash, like, do you know options or ways to you know, anything anything I can do? And I like, Hold on one second, I'll I'll have someone uh drive some money out to you right now. So he like makes some calls, he knows a guy out there and this guy is like so far out of his way up into the mountains and just gives me basically essentially like a hundred dollars in Algerian DNR. I'm like, Oh, thank you much. I'll like, I'll pay you, like give me email or something. I'll pay you back. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. It's fine. I take it. Really? Yeah, (laughs) it was crazy. Yeah. And I mean, it was so far out of the way. Like and this guy who I had no idea who this guy was and he just drove out of the way. Just give me some money and that's it. And I got in Algeria too. I got put up, all the time. And like youth house and some of that, I'd, I'd when there wasn't a hotel somewhere or even at hotels, sometimes I'd just be like, Oh no, don't worry about it. stay for free. It's, it's on us. And like more than any other place I got like welcomed in and put, put up places for free.
0: How is the money situation holding up? I mean, had the sickness and everything. I don't know if that was the whole unexpected expense or if you had travel insurance, how is the whole money thing working out for you?
1: Yeah, when I got sick, uh, it was, I mean, it brought me down. I had some, like, emergency, exactly for this, saved up. Some emergency funds saved up. uh, But that depleted it all. Um, And then so I basically uh, got a couple jobs. Once I started getting healthier, I don't remember what I was doing. I was just doing, like, odd jobs for a friend of a friend, like, working on a house just to get a little bit of cash. But I think I had my sponsor... And once I started up again, they started giving me payments and they're not, it's not telling me it was enough for South America, Central America. But with, like I said, with my Patreon now, I send people postcards, I send them uh, touch notes, which are like postcards that I can send from my phone and they arrive in the mail to them. And so that takes a lot of the pressure off. Um, So I'm good now. The Patreon helps a lot. And I'm not to say that I should have done it from the beginning, but I'm very glad I have it now because... I can relax a little bit and I'm good. I'm not, I'm not a wealthy man, but I don't, I, I'm, I'm just walking and camping most of the time. So I can breathe.
0: That's great. And you got c- good companionship, I guess, with yourself, your podcast, and your dog, of course, which is uh, great to hear that Savannah is doing well. I mean, it's pretty amazing that you've been able to get her into all these countries as well. I mean, it sounds like you've obviously done the legwork with the paperwork and everything like that. But has that been challenging at all, having a dog with you? It's not
1: as challenging as you would think. The common question is when you're traveling, like first off the paperwork, the paperwork, if you're going to Europe, it's a little difficult. Uh, but when you're traveling overland, if you're flying somewhere, you need really need to have like the proper paperwork in order. But when you're traveling overland through Central America or South America, generally you just need like a basic health certificate and the rabies vaccine. So it's super – it's really easy. Half the countries didn't even acknowledge her. And then uh, the other thing is like the hotels. When you're in a developed country, you can always find a hotel that's pet friendly. And if you're not in a developed country where they don't like dogs generally, it's more street dogs. It's a mom and pop who own the hotel. So you can just convince them and you just say, look, I'm going to leave. I'll sleep somewhere else. She's a fine dog kind of thing. And, you know, they want your money. And so you just convince them and they let them in and – yeah those are the two big things and i think uh with hotels it's just a matter of standing your grounds and just really just being ready to leave uh if you need to and with the with the transporting it's just you got to put the time in uh, the longest i spent was a month to get savannah into europe and then she's in and she has an eu passport and piece of cake now
0: hmm. does she uh ever lose steam when you're walking before you do has she figured out she can ride on the cart yet? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah right. That's, she doesn't know that. Don't tell her. <laughs> no, man. She's like, I finished the day and I sit down at the end of the I'm like exhausted. I'm like, I can't wait to eat. I just want to sit down. And she grabs the stick and comes over, like wants to play. I'm like, we just walked 25 miles and you still want to play. This is, she's <laughs> endless. Yeah,
0: She might be the first dog that walks around the world when you finish this, actually.
1: I think she will be. She's the first to do the Americas. I think she will be the first to
0: do the world. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> well, it's been so great catching up with you. I, I mean, I could talk to you all day and get more stories, and I would I would love to keep going, but I want to respect your time as well. And it will really be great to get you on again when you get to the States and you're coming towards the, the, final, uh, the final push or maybe, you know, at some point then. So we, we should... We should definitely connect. I don't know, man. I'd love to I could go visit my family, and maybe even be there when you cross the finish line, man. It would be great to meet sure. you in person. Yeah. But we'll be following along and the website again, theworldwalk.com. And Tom, it's it's always a pleasure catching up with you, man. I do I sometimes I just be in the middle of my day and I'll be I'll just think about you and I'll be like, Man, I hope Tom's doing doing good out there and it sounds like you are, and I'm so glad you're yeah, you're just recovered from all, from all that and, you know, sending you the best on the rest of your journey, my man. Yeah,
1: I appreciate it. It's always great talking to you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, did I leave anything out? Or
1: No, that's it. That's good, man. Yeah, yeah that's that's, uh, we covered a lot of ground.
0: All right, buddy. Well, you've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> good luck, that's man. That's the truth. That's we'll, the truth. We'll, we'll chat soon.
1: All right, sounds good.
0: Now, here's the final chapter in the World Walk Trilogy, you'll hear my interview with Tom from August 2022, just after he finished his walk around the world. Please enjoy. I'm starting to tear, like I was tearing up looking at the pictures of you guys all tearing up like with your family and your friends and the big group of people you had coming across the finish line that day and just like having followed you for all these years and like reading your stuff and knowing a bit about what you've been through as much as I can as a, like an outsider and through the conversations we've had. Congratulations, man, first of all.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Appreciate
0: it. <laughs> Huge congrats on finishing the walk. Just to give people some perspective, at the time of this recording right now, how long has it been since you crossed the finish line where you started to your home and had in, had in Township, New Jersey?
1: I mean, it's only been about two and a half months since, uh, since I crossed the finish line. So it hasn't been very long that I've been back, uh, which is strange because it kind of feels like forever, but it doesn't feel like any time at all also.
0: (laughs) Well, I have questions about that and time and some other things a little later on the show. I should give you a little formal welcome here. I'm beyond excited to, to welcome back to the show for the third time Tom Tursich, who I recently finished, as you heard, walking around the world with his dog, Savannah, only the 10th person to do so. Savannah is the first dog to walk around the world. <laughs> I highly encourage you to check out Tom's writing and the photos from his journey over at theworldwalk.com. And you can get links to all the socials and all that good stuff. Seven years, six continents. Tom, welcome back to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend.
1: Thanks for having me. My favorite podcast.
0: Thank you, third time you know it's a true friend of the show here, so uh, i really I really appreciate it and of course we're going to have you back on when you publish your book. So much to talk about today, and I guess I kind of wanted to start with the sort of the last leg because part of our interview series here is like the Tom trilogy right like we've got going on was a bit of the chronology and kind of following your path of your actual journey, and the last time we spoke was in when you were in Croatia, like visiting some cousins and some relatives, you told us about you know, all the stuff you went through with your health and everything and all the stuff that happened there. By the way, has there been any issues? I've been just hoping, I haven't seen anything. I'm hoping that you're, you're okay and none of that stuff ever came back. Yeah, no,
1: nothing ever had any, any more health issues after that. So thankfully, I was yeah. able to put that behind me.
0: Cool. Did you follow your intended path from Croatia? Because you said you were going to be going through like Greece, Turkey, Georgia, Australia. Was that, did you stick to that plan?
1: No, I wasn't able to uh, entirely because of COVID. Uh, I wasn't able to get into Kazakhstan or Mongolia or Australia because of COVID. Um, I walked uh, over from Croatia to Azerbaijan. So it was, yeah, it was uh, like montenegro albania greece turkey georgia and azerbaijan when i got into azerbaijan then covid you know struck and azerbaijan is such a small country that i was stuck in there every country around it closed and there was no flights in or out so i ended up getting stuck in azerbaijan for like six months uh which, really yeah yeah totally <laughs> Locked in there. Uh, But it was a good place to be stuck. Uh, Pretty affordable and uh, peaceful and quiet. And uh, so it was okay. But uh, ultimately, you know, once I got the vaccine, uh, you know, almost a year later, uh, I was able to get to Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and walk those two Central Asian countries. Uh, But then Kazakhstan, Mongolia were still closed. Australia still closed. Uh, so I wasn't able to do the route exactly as I planned, but at this point it had already been six years of walking and traveling and I, you know, hit six of the seven continents and, uh, said, all right, time to, uh, time to return home and, and, uh, walk that last leg from Seattle back to New Jersey.
0: Yeah. You know how every state has like their motto. Is that the tagline for Azerbaijan, a good place to be stuck? (laughs) I mean, I guess when you embark on a journey, like walking around the world, you kind of expect that things are going to change and happen, but you don't necessarily expect a global pandemic.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about it because I guess, you know, a pandemic, what happens, I don't know, maybe once every hundred years or so, or maybe like less frequently than that. But so say I'm walking six, six years, it's like, there's decent odds that I hit it. But not great odds.
0: Yeah. So when when everything sort of went down, I guess for, for what you were trying to accomplish, what you did accomplish, how did you how did you navigate that? Like sort of mindset-wise and strategically. It,
1: the being stuck in Azerbaijan definitely um, it definitely changed my mindset because. I was on such a roll um, leading up to to there, you know, crossing Turkey and and Georgia. And I was excited to start walking up to Mongolia and in that section of the world, going from Azerbaijan to Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and then Mongolia, like walking, I had a a pretty tight window to do it in uh, just because of the weather. And so I waited through winter. uh, And then when March was coming around, all right, okay, now it's time to like make my break up to Ulaanbaatar. And uh, basically started, you know, like hyped up, ready to go. And then it was like COVID as soon as I got into Azerbaijan. Uh, so uh, it really took like kind of uh, the momentum away. And then being stuck there, I ended up living uh, when I met this girl um, from, Switzerland, and she was an international teacher there and a great person. And we ended up like, living together for those six months. And that as well really uh, sort of had me looking forward to a life after the walk. Uh, so it was really difficult to balance like this need to finish the world walk, uh, which was still a long way off. I mean, even just walking across the US was seven months, and I still wanted to do more of Central Asia and there was still COVID. And so I didn't know where it was, uh, but I started like imagining what life would be like after the walk, after I had, you know, or during when I was living in Azerbaijan with this girl. Uh, so uh, it definitely made it, uh, uh, it made it, it made it difficult uh, in a certain way, uh, because it really is so mental, just being out there on my own and in strange places for, uh, you know, years and years and years, you've really got to be mentally tight
0: yeah, you're getting a taste of a relationship and what life on the other side looks like in a in a real visceral way. It's not just, you know, you're walking down the street, you're like, I remember in the last podcast, you were saying that you were, there was a period of time when you were like imagining the house you were going to build and stuff like that. And then you kind of got through that realizing like, okay, well, you know, later on when I'm settled down, this is done, then I can, I can have that stuff. And then you kind of like push through. But this is, um this is wasn't just in your head. I mean, you were, yeah, exactly. Connection. And part of the thing you had to do to start the walk from uh, every what I know about your story is ha- having to break up with somebody who you were in love with, who you would have married.
1: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the walk it was about, you know, giving up things to see the world. And I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of goals and dreams and uh and people who travel who do the same thing and um uh, you know, people are small and you only can do so much, you know, you can only live one life. So you have to make certain choices and uh, that means leaving some things behind. Uh, but with the world walk in particular, uh, it's, you really, I, I really had to kind of leave everything behind, uh, cause it's not, you know, I want to climb a couple of mountains, or I want to, uh, do a PhD program. Like if you're doing those things, maybe even a PhD program, which is very intensive, like you still have a community around you. You still have a roof over your head. You can still probably, you know, get drinks with your friends. Uh, and the world walk was, you know, he had to leave everything behind and just like be on my own. That's why it was so nice having Savannah with me. Cause at least I had a like consistent companion that way. Uh, but then after so many years of, of, of that, of being on my own, uh, and like you said, getting that real taste of, Oh, maybe like what life could be like afterwards in Azerbaijan, uh, it made the rest of the walking in Uzbekistan and I returned to Turkey and did some more walking in Turkey during COVID. And then in Kyrgyzstan, it made it really heavy and, uh, you know and I, the entire time i was just kind of looking forward to it was difficult to be present i was really looking forward to uh just what kind of came next at that point
0: yeah like getting it over with in some ways yeah 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 I
1: mean, it was it was just like let's finish this thing you know and it's it was such a it was such a transition and i don't, i don't like i didn't want it to be that way but that's how it was and and there's a certain I don't know. There's something about that. I guess is kind of nice. It's such a massive adventure and you know, it's at a certain point, you know, you got to be really tested and, and, you know, I was tested a lot physically and the illness I was tested a lot, but even like walking across the U S like when I landed in the U S um, so Kyrgyzstan was the last country I walked abroad abroad. I landed in Seattle and when I landed in Seattle, it felt like this armor that I had been wearing to protect myself while abroad. You know, when you're abroad, you, you, you're you in someone else's home and, and their culture and and you don't speak the language. Or even if you do, you don't know the culture perfectly and you don't want to step on any toes. And so you're always just kind of on the defensive. And then especially when I'm with myself uh, and, and then I have Savannah that I have to look after, I have all this armor kind of built up to get me through these places. And not to say that I'm cold, but, you know, you just have to, you know, be on your toes. And uh, when I got to Seattle, it kind of all fell away. I remember looking out the window uh, just in this uh, in the cab ride uh, to a friend's house and looking out and seeing, you know, just the U.S. and, and knowing that I was home in my own culture and where everyone's spoke, you know, the same language that I do. And I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, fumbling over my words in in a grocery store or not being able to express myself perfectly or just there being some misunderstanding because I didn't speak the language. And it was like all of a sudden I was totally raw and I could see kind of how much I had went through and how much I had changed over so many years and the first three, four months of walking in the U.S. were insanely difficult. And it was all because it was mental and emotional and I was processing everything that I had been through. It was the most difficult section of the walk. It was actually just being back home. Uh, and again, all because it was it was mental.
0: I read the post on, on your site, The Weight of All the Years, and we talk about shedding the armor. But just from that, you were saying... You know, how many hits had I taken? I'm quoting the post now. No close bonds, no love, no Sunday dinners, no drinks with friends, the careful separation, the practice stoicism, the ports I had to leave. But again, again, the dull pain of it all was unbelievable. You know, this is part of the, to use some of your words you used before in one of your other posts, or maybe it was the same post, this idea of this self-imposed solitude, which is built into the walk that you were doing. It sounds to me like when you hit Seattle, yeah, maybe that happened just because you were you were able to let go of the logistical tightness you needed to have, right? Like you're like, okay, I have this familiarity with where I'm at. I you know, there's that element of when you're traveling in another country and you're like you said, you're always on your toes, like you know, because you're not totally familiar. You don't exactly know when you wander into certain neighborhoods and things like that. You have to kind of be vigilant in some ways a lot. And if you're not guarded that way anymore, it opens up the other stuff. I guess sounds like it did for you anyway.
1: I think that's right, so it's pretty accurate. You know it was such a big project as well, and uh you know when whenever you're doing a big project, you know there's lots of challenges throughout it. I mean, so it's being sick in in uh you know catching that illness uh, after South America or pushing through the desert in South America or like going through Central America through the jungle and and like being worried about you know gang violence and then seeing family in Ireland seeing family in Croatia and you know there's so many it just there's so much that I had experienced kind of thing and and then yeah to land at home and in my mind at that point when I landed in Seattle it was like it was kind of like, oh, the walk's already over in a certain way. I mean, obviously it wasn't, it was like, I'm home. This is the easiest part. You know, I can relax now. And uh, I was actually, in hindsight, it was a great thing that I didn't just fly home and, and just like call it. It was a really good thing that I ended up walking across the U S because it allowed me this space to process what it was going to be like to end it. I think if I had just landed in New Jersey, and that was the end of it, it would have been a really, really challenging end. And uh, it would have been really challenging to process everything. Uh, But yeah, for those first couple months, uh, you know, just, it was just working through, Uh, it was just working through really, like how much I had changed, how much i had went through. Uh, And then also, like the US (laughs) ended up, like not being nearly as easy to walk across as I thought it was going to be. But it's partially my own doing, I walked a I walked Wyoming in November, which was just insane. You know, it's at 8,000 feet and constant 60, 70 mile per hour winds and snow and everything else. And then I was in Kansas in January and February. And so it was brutal. It was was really difficult walking, which I also in a strange way was looking forward to. I wanted some really difficult winter walking. I'm not sure why, maybe just for some sort of change. Uh, But in the middle of that, you know, when the days are short and it's cold and I'm in my tent for you know, it's 14 hours a day or longer sometimes, uh, just because it's too cold to be out before the sun is up. And then before the sun is even down, it's too cold to kind of be out. And I'll be in my sleeping bag and I have Savannah in her sleeping bag and we'll be all bundled up and just like laying there. It's too cold to even read or anything and just staring at the tent. Um, and, uh, but like, Something about that was uh uh was a nice challenge, and uh yeah, i don't know something something different than uh you know some some sort of challenge built into uh, the walk across America, which otherwise would be you know pretty calm
0: yeah, you were twenty two when you left right and how I'm old 20, are
1: you now? 26 or twenty five and then twenty six yeah.
0: okay and how how old are you now i'm thirty
1: three yeah. So, I mean, who knows if, it, who knows if it's even like the walk changed me, which it definitely did, but you can't parse in between just growing up into being an actual adult versus, you know, just traveling and having all these experiences and that changing you as well. So who knows, you know, which is which and uh, how I, how I changed in what way and from what cause. But um, yeah, it was a lot. There's was a lot of change. There's was a lot of change. And, and I think 33 is time to uh, slow down a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, so one might argue that walking is is about the slowest form of transportation you can do. So you've yeah, been slowing yeah. down the whole time, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, I know what you mean, kind of getting off the road. You well, know. I do have a, a whole little segment planned on on how this walk has changed you. So I, I got, I, I mean, that's something we should probably get into now since we're on the topic. But I did want to quote a little line from your last Instagram post. You said the walk was a dream. And I thought that was interesting because you don't say it felt like a dream; you say it it was a dream. Is there a distinction there, or is that, is that just semantics?
1: No, no. I think I think that's very astute, uh, very perceptive of you. Yeah, um, I, it was it was a dream in you know in multiple ways. It was a dream that I had after my friend Emory passed and, and when I thought about, you know, how to live a full life, it was a dream in that way. And it was a dream in the sense of that it was almost just surreal. Like it's an insane adventure. It doesn't, I think about it, looking back I was like, this is an insane thing to do. <laughs> you walked across central America and down South America. It's like, that is insane. Even I, like, it does not feel real to me. I was like, I, you did that. I did that. That's <laughs> so crazy. Um, And so in that way, it's a dream, like as in it's surreal in a, in a certain way, it doesn't feel like a dream, uh, because it each day is just a kind of another day out there and everything is very real when you're out there and, um, you feel, you know, the stress of finding a place to camp each night or the beauty of finding a a really great campsite or a a place to hang out for a bit or stumbling across. A, a mosque in Uzbekistan, and you know, being given shelter in the midday heat, um, and so like the day to day, you really feel, uh, you know, I felt everything, and uh, you know, there's a lot of beauty in it, but there's a lot of challenge as well, and uh, so in that way, it's not like oh, this whole thing is just this dream that you're just kind of floating through. It's like this huge. Big challenging task, and that's how it felt, and that's why by the end I was so uh, like relieved uh, for the end of it.
0: Of course, big reason why we travel, I think, uh, in, in these types of adventures, or you know, even if it's not so extreme. Somebody listening, it might be a your own version of that, right? Maybe throwing on a backpack, taking a solo trip, whatever. That idea of of being out and like you said, things are happening. It's real. There's challenges. It's, it gets you out of the routines and the sort of the culture that you're, you're in, and it can puts you in a completely foreign place, literally, <laughs> but also that does a lot mentally, of course. And you've already touched on a little bit about how the walk has changed you. I know two and a half months since it's ended. I, I wanted to just do a, I'm calling it a mini segment, but it's much deeper than that. The thing is, like, I saw your interview on a Today show and, like, all the things, you know, that are happening, all the media is getting their sound bites and stuff, but you can't, like, you can't sound bite an experience of this depth and length, right? Like, it's very difficult. So, what we want to do here is uh, what we're doing right now is kind of getting a little deeper on this stuff. And uh, I'm just going to ask you, how the walk has changed your relationship with some different things, if if at all. If it hasn't, then obviously, just just say so. The first one, I'm wondering how the walk and the whole experience has changed your relationship with uh, time, or you could maybe say the rhythm of life.
1: Yeah, that's that's, I'm looking forward to the segment. That's a great idea. It'll help me parse my thoughts as well. Uh, my relationship with time. So when I was walking time is really slow, uh, which I think is the great benefit of it. Um, so they say, uh, that as you get older, uh, you perceive time as moving quicker because you have less novel experiences. And so looking back, um, you know, there's kind of just less bumps in your life or, uh, less newness. And so when I look back at the walk, uh, and it was seven years and when I was walking across say the U S it, it felt like 20 years. It felt like it had been 20 years of walking because each day is just so packed with with things. Um, and already being home, I feel like time is moving quicker here uh, because you I get into some sort of rhythm and I'm working on, you know, putting this book proposal or the, the book proposals out, but working on the book uh, and like getting into a rhythm that way. And so it seems like, Know just that there's less novelty and less serendipity. Uh, so I guess it's made me perceive time in that way. And uh, yeah, it's one of the one of the benefits of traveling is that you know you can experience a lot in a really short amount of time, and it can change you a lot really quickly. And uh, and that's why I think when people look back on uh, these trips that they've taken, and they seem so just alive and almost bursting at the seams and and, they, and really impactful for people. Um, it's because, you know, there's all this newness there and there's all these, you know, things that they had to process. And so for the walk for me was that, you know, time seven years.
0: Yeah. And now the lack of novelty, I don't know if that's worn off, but the lack of novelty and the predictability of the everyday life right now is kind of a novelty to you. At least I'm sure it was in the beginning. Has that worn off? Does it feel like you're... I would say
1: it's still there a little bit, uh, where it's still really nice to be in a bed and have a roof over my head (laughs) and uh, to be with family and friends. And uh, there is a part of me already that is like kind of itching uh, to travel or for just something different. And I think that'll kind of never leave me. I think that's just kind of part of who I am is that, you know, I'm looking for the next thing to occupy me or then maybe the next project. And also I just kind of miss in a certain way, like just being outside all the time. It just feels better than being inside all the time, uh, on some really visceral kind of human primordial level. Uh, I kind of miss that. Uh, but otherwise, no, I'd say it's pretty nice just being inside. And especially now it's like 99 degrees here and I'm in the air conditioning, Savannah's in the air conditioning. It's like, that's fine with me. I can, live that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> how about the relationship with your body?
1: I think even when I left, um, I n- had a, an appreciation for, um, My body, you know, I've been an athlete kind of my whole life, played college tennis. Uh, But I also knew that I wanted to push my body and and I wanted to uh, test it. And, you know, it's they say the greatest machine, you know, there is and it's your machine and it's and it seems like such a waste to let this incredible machine, you know, not go test it. And, um, so for me, you know, I've, I've, ai have a great appreciation. I think I've always had a, a good appreciation for kind of the human body and, and, you know, wanting to maintain it and, and keep myself healthy and, and push it physically. Um, but I don't know if it's changed so much, uh, but it now just being 33 versus being 26, it's more about maintaining the body. And it's like, I got to do more stretches than I did before. It's like, you got to keep this thing running for as long as possible and as good a shape as possible. Um, and the walk was really great for that. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I'm very good shape and, um, it, it was, you know, it's low impact. It's not like I'm running and the knees are going or anything like that, but kept me in good shape. And, uh, but you know, as far as the relationship, uh, I'd say it stayed, it stayed the same. And I've, I've a, a lot of appreciation for what the human body can do.
0: We'll be back right after this. Let's get back to the show. Do you think it exceeded what your expectation was of what what you could accomplish in terms of the physical nature of the expedition?
1: It is amazing that there was about a year and a half where I walked almost a mile and a half every day. The first year and a half, I was just an absolute maniac and so on fire with the idea of walking around the world and ready to prove to myself and everyone else that I could do it. And I would walk 24, 25 miles every single day and took the first year I took, I think just three weeks off in the whole year. Uh, And the rest of the time was walking and camping and walking and camping. And so that is incredible. That's just like some amazing that, you know, was walking eight hours a day every day, and the body was like, "Yeah, okay, you can handle this, no problem." Just make sure you eat five thousand calories or whatever it takes. Uh, but now, like walking across the U.S. and especially in winter, I did get an appreciation for. I think I think one of the great things that the walk really revealed to me, or maybe even just confirmed—I think I kind of believed it before uh, leaving—is uh, to really to live a happy, fulfilled life. You really have to lean into your humanness. Uh, and I think with technology and with just kind of, you know, like the modern economy where you work these office jobs or, you know, you work digitally, uh, it's really easy to feel like you need to be a robot and just, you know, grind away for eight hours a day on the computer or, you know, or just you're sitting down for eight hours a day, whatever that is. Um, But being out in the sun and getting exercise every day, uh, you know, it's great. I mean, I was really happy out there and you felt good. I mean, almost all, even when you, even when I didn't feel good mentally and I wasn't in a good place mentally, you felt pretty good in the background. And then really like in Wyoming and in Kansas, uh, when I was walking across the Great Plains in winter, uh, I was just dragging and I kept thinking, wow, what is going on? Like, why do I feel so bad? And it's like, because you have, you know, 50 mile per hour winds blasting you in the face every day. And, you know, it's 30 degrees and you're in your tent for 13, 14 hours a day, whatever it is. Um, you know, and so that was kind of this humbling lesson where I thought kind of, I could just Overpower anything with just, you know, with my willpower and just like I should be feeling better just because I want to be feeling better. Uh, but no, it's like it's tough to walk through. There's winds and the cold and, you know, be on your own in you know, on the Great Plains winter. Uh, and then one, as soon as it starts getting sunny again, I was like, man, why do I feel so good all of a sudden? It's like just because it's sunny and you're not walking through the winter anymore. Uh, so, you know, it's just a lesson in just, you know, you kind of have to play to, you know, what works for the, you know, your, hu- your flawed human body.
0: Mm. That human need for sunshine getting outside. I like how you said that you, f- even when you didn't feel good mentally in the background, you still felt good is how you explained it. And I think that's an interesting way to think about it because you're getting that essential uh, need for your your body and sort of like your soul on that, on that visceral level, just to be outside, like you said, it, it is part of our nature. So it's just, get outside, I guess. It's just, it's an endorsement for getting back outside. I don't know. (laughs)
1: There there were so many times, man, where, you know, I had a really tough day and I would be exhausted at the end of the day. And then I would sit down at camp and I was exhausted and I was tired and I was probably in like a bad mood. I may have been flipping off cars like half the day and, you know, screaming at the air. And I would sit down uh, at camp with Savannah at the end of the day outside. And it was just great. And I felt great. Even then when I was just pissed off and in a bad mood, I was like, this is still great. And I love being out here and my body's tired and I'm going to go lay down and it's going to feel so nice when I lay down and I can't wait for that. It's
0: the best kind of tired. When I'm slogging through the Norwegian winter, I'm going to think about you, Tom. I'm going to be like, well, if Tom can walk into like 60 mile an hour winds across the the plains of Montana in the middle of the winter, I can certainly walk my kid to daycare on this freezing cold day. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you appreciate being inside. That's for sure.
0: I like that the East Coast, New Jersey part of you—the sort of the angsty, flipping off cars part—still didn't, still didn't leave. Right? You didn't become uh, like this uh, walking Zen monk. You're just like <laughs> <laughs> no, I, finger I, I, up, get out of my way. <laughs>
1: I have such a loathing for cars anymore. I, that is so built into me. So no, that's not leaving. And yeah, the way have I you take driven a
0: car since you've been back?
1: yeah yeah i i i've driven yeah I've driven cars but yeah. yeah yeah
0: well you didn't not you didn't not drive a car for all those years i guess yeah no there's
1: times i you know whatever to get paperwork or something like that yeah right
0: yeah. yeah how about the uh how you see your home country in the u s
1: it's it's funny because so when I landed in the u s uh after a couple of weeks I ended up meeting uh, this girl, Bonnie, who I'm dating, uh, now and be moving out to Seattle with her in a couple of weeks. Uh, Wait, but what? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, me- I met her just a couple of weeks in and where, uh, in this little, uh, Washington Valley Winthrop, she was in omac she was in a family medicine rotation in like a desert Valley in OMAC and there's just nothing there. And I was in this other Valley writing nothing there. And uh, yeah, so we just met kind of, we were both in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, uh, met but where through, did you meet? We met through Tinder. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's the second time I think I ever used Tinder. And I was just like, you know, feeling the loneliness and solitude. I was like, I'm going to download Tinder. And then I get on there and there's like four options and she was on there and, you know, she was awesome and we just hit it off and, uh, and then she kind of followed me around the country for a little bit as well. So
0: please tell me you had, you know, walked around the world on your Tinder bio. Please, please I, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I but, mean, people must know. be like, yeah, right, sure he did. And this yeah. probably isn't his real picture.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't get enough use out of it as I probably could have. I should have had it throughout the whole world. But, you know, it just seemed uh, I'm more about uh, the IRL meetups than the yeah. um, Tinder ones. But it worked. It served its purpose. So it was great. Uh, but when we first met, when uh, my girlfriend Bonnie and I first met, uh She was saying how uh I was just really giving her like a new appreciation for America and how uh great it was and it was true because after you know being in Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan, which are pretty uh i guess they're probably low uh income countries and uh you know just just being abroad um you know it's 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 different than being home. And uh, Uzbekistan, in particular, a very strange country, just because how closed off it's been, and um, and how it's just opening up to the world, uh, and Kyrgyzstan as well, just because it's it's all mountains, so it's really difficult living there. Uh, but then, and you're just being abroad and coming back to the U.S. and right, the U.S. is just so insanely wealthy; it is crazy, and the food there's so much food everywhere, and such highly caloric food. And so the wealth was just kind of blowing my mind at the time because it had been such a long time where I'd been somewhere where it's like, wow, this is these are the houses that everyone lives in. This is crazy. And these are the cars everyone drives and this is the infrastructure. And so at the time it was you know, I was really overflowing with a lot of appreciation for the US and um and then also like Washington State itself is just beautiful i mean it 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 matches anywhere in the world for its beauty like the northern cascades are incredible and then every valley is just this new you know uh ecosystem and and beautiful in its own right and um but you know at the same time because it's my home uh and as time was on and as that kind of just like you know that return kind of wore off uh and I am you know very politically engaged, and especially through walking, I have uh, you know a real appreciation for geopolitics and and just the effect of laws on people. I mean, that's one of the great lessons from walking around the world is that like, people are really tiny, and basically all of everyone's life is just decided by the geography they're born into and then the systems that are in place. And so I have like a real appreciation for these larger systems and, you know, whether they work or they don't work and whether they benefit just the common man or they don't. Um, and so, you know, these are things I'm really, you know, concerned about and aware of. Uh, and so, yeah, being in the U S, um, you know, I can criticize it because it's my home. And that's one of the great things about critis- That's one of the great things about America is that you can criticize it. And I am going to criticize it forever because I want to make it a better place. Um, And so, you know, now it's kind of this mix of, yes, I have a great appreciation for it. And also I recognize that I wouldn't have done the World Walk if I wasn't born in the U.S. I have a strong passport. I was born in the Northeast, a very, very wealthy part of the world, you know, and got a good education here. Um, So I have to like be appreciative for what the U.S. gave me. But also, you know, when, uh, you know, there's, you know, I wish it was a more pure democracy <laughs> and I have a lot of other like complaints and wish it wasn't co- so car dependent and uh, you know, up, up upon a thousand other things. But um, now, look, America is a great place and, uh, and mostly because, you know, you can get to criticize it.
0: Not that you have to decide where you are going to live forever after spending so much time out in the world is, do you think, your home country of America is, is a place that you might spend the majority of your time if you're quote unquote settling down. Of course, we don't know what the future is going to bring, but just like sort of your gut instinct on that. I'm just curious.
1: I think I would live in the Northeast. Um, I like the Northeast because I like the people in the Northeast where they're very direct and kind of just don't beat around the bush. <laughs> and so that is satisfying in a way. Uh, but then also like there's a great education system here and um, you know, it's, generally safer than, uh, you know, some other parts of the U.S. I mean, maybe that's not true. The rural parts are, you know, safe as anywhere. Uh, but no, ma- mainly about education. So like if I have a kid or something, I want to live in, you know, you know, New Jersey or mass or Connecticut, somewhere with a, a really good school program, but also like I'm dying to just, I never want to get in a car and I just want to ride my bike or walk everywhere. And, uh, you kind of can only do that. I don't know, like, yeah, the Northeast is okay for that, but it could be better just because it's so densely populated. But I definitely like, part of me is really, of course, I mean, drawn to Europe, I would love to live in, you know, the Netherlands or Denmark, which I loved or, uh, Switzerland, uh, somewhere where, you know, you can just live without being dominated by cars. I think it just makes for a much nicer life.
0: It does. Yeah. I was, when I lived somewhere after traveling around for a long time, I I picked Boulder, Colorado in the US because of the bike paths and the fact that you could just walk or bike a lot of places and you didn't have to have a car and that lifestyle I I wish that that was built into more cities in the US I mean, I think for some cities it's getting there but it's it's so freeing to not have to get into your car for everything and and when you when I go to visit my mom in in the suburbs, you know, and I I walk to town because it's like a mile away. You have to cross like a major interstate. Yeah. And nobody nobody's walking. Like nobody walks to town. It's it's truly unbelievable and it, it is right there but nobody does it. <laughs> they
1: no, just don't. No, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just, yeah, it's it's difficult and it's not pleasant and not as pleasant walking either. That's why they don't do it because there's cars and it's loud and it's polluted and you know with so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the one thing, uh, you know, well, among many, but that I would love to like, but when I was in Denmark, I stayed in Denmark for two weeks before beginning that European leg of the walk. And so I stayed there with a friend and, you know, you're just riding around everywhere on the bike and it just feels like you're in high school again, especially when you're with your friends, so you're just scooting around. Oh, a dream, riding around. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> so why would you not want this existence?
0: Yeah. It's, it's awesome to hear that, uh, you know, after walking around the world, you're just like, yeah, I probably live somewhere in the Northeast, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right, right back where you started in New Jersey. There's no, no better place in the world than New Jersey. <laughs> I mean, the thing
1: is, the, the thing is, I have a huge family. And so that's the main thing as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. of I, course. A, a, you know, it, it's difficult to be anywhere else in, especially in the U.S. It just feels absurd to end up anywhere else, not where I'm with my family you know, 50 cousins and, you know, 14, 15 aunts and uncles. And, you know, so it's just like, it just seems absurd. Why would I be anywhere else when you could go to the family parties and you have all these people to hang out with? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the major draw, you know, and that's what matters. It's good to go away and travel and see the world. And, um, you know, and I also, I think, you know, like not everyone has everything. I'm having this conversation with a friend who visited me in Costa Rica when uh, I was walking down there. Um, and, you know, like, this is the same thing as just like people are small and you have to make choices and you have to, you know, sacrifice some things if you want something else. It's just the way it works. It's just people are small and life is really big and complex. And that's a part of it. It's built in. There's no way around it. Like you can't, you're just going to have to accept that. Um, but then that also goes to like, you know, some people are born with some things that other people aren't born with. And for me, like one of the great things that I have in my life is I have this great family and I have a great big family and they're all kind of in one area and not everyone has that. And if you don't have that, then, you know, Hey, travel wherever, because, you know, you can live wherever and you can choose where you want to live. But for me, it's just such a huge draw to be back here because I do have this thing and mm. so kind of got to, you know, lean into that
0: yeah well, I mean, also you've given it up for so long,
1: yeah you know yeah i mean that's 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 it too uh, that is it too, no doubt I mean that's uh what I was missing uh I was just at a family party for my uncle's family and my uncle's birthday uh this past Sunday, and we're at my my aunt's house, you know, and we got all the the kids there, the new generation growing up and hanging out by the pool and you know that's that's what I was. Waiting for is waiting to be back there and uh, just you know enjoying the simple things with the family,
0: cousins, aunts, uncles, uh, nieces and nephews. If anybody needs a, a good story, it's like go see go see Uncle Tom or go see Cousin Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's got yeah. a few.
1: <laughs> you know was funny is that the the thing I almost enjoy most about being back with my friends and uh, being back with uh, my family is that they don't ask me too explicitly about the walk and especially just like recently like having the walk end it and you, uh, doing all these interviews and you're talking to all these people and you kind of get asked the same questions over and over again not to say this podcast actually just better questions on this podcast and talking with you than just about you know everyone uh, but you get a lot of the same stuff and then and then when you know I meet new people like hey Tom, this guy walked around the world. I'm like, oh, I walked. You know, what'd you do for the oceans? I'm like, you get that a thousand times. Uh, but you know, something's nice about you know being with the friends and family, and you just being, you know, you know, Tom. Yeah, and
0: they, yeah. they just want to be with you. They just want to spend time with you. It's not that they don't care, but yeah.
1: And you, there's banter, and and every once in a while, like something, if something fits in where you know I have a story that relates to something, then I'll throw it in. But it's not like this is the Tom show, and you know I'm going to tell you all the stories that I have, which is nice. It's nice to just like you know fit it in naturally to just the banter and everything else. Yeah.
0: Yes, you know what I I think I learned over the years, or I, I seem to figure out, is that <laughs> this is not. Pertaining this or to your family or friends or whatever, but generally when I'd come back from these, you know, long adventures or whatever, it's like, oh, how, th- how were things? Whatever, you know. And then after like a little bit of dialogue, it's like people don't really care that much. Like <laughs> they've got their own lives. Like it's great to hear. I mean, they care in the sense that they care about you, but you know, the travels that y- the, the experiences that you had and that transformed you aren't are more important to you than they are to anybody else, of course. And it's, that's just the way it is. And, and like you said, it's, it's, it's cool. It's just like, let's just hang out. I don't need to reflect on all this stuff. Like I just missed you. Let's just hang out together. And
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said, you said it well, all (laughs) the experiences and all the challenges that you face, that's all your stuff. And you know, they can ask a little bit about it, but you know, really, like you said, they're living their own life too.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, well, this was one of the questions I had, how, how it maybe has changed your relationships with friends and family.
1: I don't know if it's uh, changed it much. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, With friends and family, um, I think in, in a strange way, and maybe this is like arrogant, but I think it's helped my, like my immediate family in a lot of ways and opened them up to traveling, say more than they would have, or, uh, just, you know, a sort of resilience, uh, especially for my sister. I mean, my sister is very, uh, strong already. She's been, uh, type one diabetic. She was like, uh, since, you know, 12 or something like that, or actually probably even younger, Um, and she's always been, you know, really strong, but then she ended up moving out to Denver and living there for five years. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I definitely feel like just the walk and having pushed through this, such a big thing, um, has been sort of like a point of pride for my immediate family. And it's something, you know, they see, you know, they're, they're proud of their son and, uh, and my sister is, is proud of me and, I don't know. It's difficult. It's a difficult thing to, uh, to sort of separate, but as far as like a relationship, um, I don't know if you probably read it in, in my, one of my latest blog posts, but I remember having this conversation with this guy in, uh, Washington. And so this actually before I met Bonnie, uh, but he said he was, he was a Vietnam vet. And when we met, he was like, you look really tired. And I was like, I am really tired. And, he says, yeah, you know, I could, I could see it. You're like, you're, you're over. He's like, I had the same look after a year of Vietnam. And, you know, I told him was, you know, I, I wasn't at war, you know, so, and, and he's like, no, but it's the same thing. You've been abroad for a long time and on your own for a long time and through a lot. And, you know, now, you know, that what really matters is, you know, you get yourself a quiet spot and like a good woman. That's what, that's how he said it. He's like, you a little spot of land and a good woman. And there is like some truth in that, uh whereas you know in that in that relationship you know in that way, um you know I know myself in a way that I never had before, just I know kind of who I am, my limitations and and I've thought about what I want and and been able to kind of like experiment and test over and over again what I want and what makes me happy and what I want in someone else, and now, at this point, it really is just like. I am really grateful to, you know, just in a certain way live simply with someone. And, you know, not to say that I won't like continue pushing myself or, or, you know, trying new things and maybe i have another big project to work on. Um, but there is, you know, something to be said and and a lot to be a lot to appreciate in uh just having good company with you and you know someone who you can hopefully go through life with and and you know that means her family but also seems like it means Bonnie and uh so I think I have appreciation uh a a deeper appreciation for having like good people in my life and uh you know and uh not just people but like having good people that I've chosen and 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 for having a good family and being grateful for that.
0: You prefaced all that with saying well maybe this sounds arrogant but it doesn't because I'm sure you know when you do something like you've done people will be proud of you, of course. I would be proud of my kids for anything. I'm proud of them for the drawings they bring home and the things. It's just, the, that's part of human nature too. And you inspire everybody by your 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 actions, right? I mean, the stories you tell, the writing and everything, that all comes from you, your actions and your your adventure and, and and the intentions you've set in life and the things you've chosen to do and the way you've lived. And then you're just sharing that with people. And man, it's inspiring. It is. So... I'm gonna say it for you. <laughs> that at least I'm inspired, and it's, uh, your friends and family, I'm sure, and and people that are fo- have been following you for a while, it's we're inspired by you, man. That's just uh, one of the beautiful things about what you've done. Is and I, I appreciate that you've been sharing in the way you have and putting it out and and coming on the shows like this and and just putting it out there. So just thanks for that. So you mentioned some of the things that you've noticed about yourself and knowing yourself in a real intimate way now was there anything else because that was on one of the uh, part of the list here was how has it changed your relationship with yourself which sounds weird because i mean in some ways there's we contain multitudes right there's like there's us and then like there's the thinking mind that's trying to protect us and and kind of thinking about who we are like why are there two voices in that head
1: well, maybe we talked about it uh, in earlier podcasts, but I'd say what was really transformative was that first year and a half of walking, uh, especially down to Argentina or so. Um, that first four months, I was able to work through that first relationship, that first romantic relationship with uh, you know my my first long term girlfriend, and ending that. Uh, and that was something that happened basically we had ended two years before I started the walk and I thought I had resolved everything. And then I started walking and kind of all your thoughts are revealed to you when you're walking, there's no place to hide. Your thoughts just keep coming up. And then you go, oh no, you did not work through this. There's still a lot to work through. So it took like four months to really resolve and and put that relationship behind me. And then kind of the same thing happened, but on a larger scale of my whole life uh, over the next year and a half. And especially when I got into the deserts of Peru and in Chile. Uh, and I really had a lot of space and a lot of empty hours to just turn over my thoughts. And when I was in that stretch of desert for maybe six months or so, uh, I was really turning over, you know, all of my influences, uh, my parents, these choices I made, uh, my memories and, uh, and you, you go over everything so many times and, and you, you look at something briefly and then you put it aside. And then maybe a week later, two weeks later, you pick up that same memory with that same influence and you look at it from a different angle and you do that over and over and over again. And then, you know, you understand it and you can set it aside. And so there's a certain point in Chile when I was walking through the desert and I remember thinking, it's like, I have, I've thought all the thoughts, like I have no more thoughts left to think. <laughs> and my
0: it's like reaching the end of the internet i didn't know it was possible, yeah, I <laughs> reached the end of the scroll
1: and uh and and then I laid in the desert uh, at night and beyond a million stars in the Atacama Desert, especially on the plateau there, and just you would see the galactic core you know every night and just an insane amount of stars and they would just sit on me like an elephant and just, you know, crush me and say, remind me that you are literally nothing, you are nothing, just a reminder. And but it being there in that kind of mental state as well, uh allowed me to, I think or I tried to like build up from the foundation. It's like, okay, what matters then if if you are nothing, and obviously, you know, uh there's, you don't take anything with you and you're, you're going to go and, you know, in the blink of a moment. And, uh, so like what matters? And, and when it came down to it, it was like, happiness is the only measure because it's, you know, being happy, making other people happy. And even though that sounds it's, it's pretty like amorphous or, or vague, uh, but everything should be like aimed towards that goal, whether like when you look at wealth, it's like, what do you have wealth for? It's to make yourself happy and to make other people happy. And again, that, that encompasses a lot. I mean, it encompasses like having security, uh, but also having, you know, some sort of sense of adventure and, and, and then having, being able to socialize and be, be able to do that safely, um, so it just encompasses a lot, but really it all comes down to just that is, is that's, you know, what matters. And so, you know, when I think about the relationship uh, with myself uh, it, a lot of it stems from that year and a half of, of really, really deep work um, kind of happening, even in the background and just knowing myself. Uh, And so now, you know, when exactly when I, when I met Bonnie, it was, in a way that I could I wouldn't have been able to when I was younger I like recognized and I this is like a strange like this is going to be a strange sort of metaphor or simile uh but it was like finding a a really good campsite <laughs> when I, when I met Bonnie it was like this is a great campsite and I never would have recognized it or maybe appreciated it in the way I had now um because you know, I would have been striving for other things, or maybe I would have, you know, just wouldn't have known what I wanted, uh, in the same way, you know, at this point now, uh, I I'm more assured in, you know, the things that I, the things that I want and what I want out of life. And, uh, and yes, because I know myself, uh, but I do think about, I, I do think about that with her is that, uh, so like, you know, there's a lot of times I, I'm camping in really strange places. I've slept, you know, everywhere imaginable (laughs) and some, you know, really loud places or, you know, uh, ones with just 20,000 mosquitoes around me in like the banana plantations of, uh, of like Ecuador. He just camped under these banana trees and there's so many mosquitoes and it's just insane. And, um, but you know, there's these times where, uh, when I'm finishing the day, I start looking for a place to sleep. And uh, depending on, you know, how much daylight there is, it's like, okay, if, if there's if there's a lot of daylight, I was like, I will just, or, or, you know, anyway, it, it all depends. And I generally I give myself a time limit and it's like, okay, an hour before the sun goes down, the next campsite you find, just take it kind of thing. And if, if it's good or bad, you just take it because you can't be always looking for the perfect campsite. If it's okay, just take it. Um, but occasionally, say I set that time limit, and but it's an hour and a half, not an hour. But there's this perfect little glade, and there's grass, and the lights coming in nice, and it's quiet, and it's away from everyone. It's like you know what? I'm stopping a little early today because that is a perfect campsite. <laughs> and so that strangely was like uh, in the same. It was the same sensation. Such a weird metaphor, simile. But like when I met Bonnie, it was like that is a nice campsite. <laughs> yeah. like, it, and it's and. and again, this is a weird way to say it, but it's, I think that also was from like knowing myself really well and knowing like the limitations of myself and, and knowing also just recognizing, like, you know, be happy with this campsite, take that campsite. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. You contextualize it. So it's, it's not, it doesn't sound strange, you know, coming from the experience that you're, you're speaking from, right? Like you, you needed to find a place to sleep every night. So that was a, that's a big deal when you say you find a nice a nice place that that there feels right and makes you happy, you know. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense right. to me. Was there a relationship before this with the universe, higher power, god, whatever you want to call it, something you believe. You, you mentioned being under the stars and and um I'm just wondering if that if there was if that changed how you think about that sort of stuff at all, uh or if that's just the I don't know where you're at with all that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, uh, am not spiritual, not religious kind of anyway. Um, uh, I, there's part of me that, you know, thinks it'd be really nice to be spiritual and, and religious and to have that sense of, you know, just maybe wonder or all, uh, but I get it in kind of a much, you know, more, I don't know, cold or pragmatic way, uh, and I do have a lot of appreciation, especially for like when I was in Kyrgyzstan, which is just an insanely beautiful kind of untouched country uh, that really put me in awe of, of nature again, in a way that I hadn't been probably since like Chile uh, and, and the desert there. Um, and so I do have like this appreciation for, for the beauty of nature. And I think but the way, the way I almost think about it is like, it's like a necessity uh, for, for humans. And it, it, when you're going through, say like a rougher part of Philadelphia and you're like, you're like well, you know, it's, it's because there's no trees around. I mean, it's not because it's not rougher because there are no trees, but people are, you know, it feels rougher because there are no trees and you go to wealthier areas and there's trees everywhere and it's green. And, um, and so I think like the nature and stuff and like the spirituality it all, you know, I think like, I was a psychology major in, in college and it's all just like, how do you game? How do you like, how do you play into the humanness? And so that's kind of where like my, there's no real spirituality and there's no real, you know, there's definitely no religion. Uh, it's more just like, what does it mean to be human and how do you, you know, be a good human? And how do you, you know, satisfy that?
0: What does it mean to be human? It means to be flawed
1: and stupid and small and, uh, and, uh, hopefully, um, you know, sociable and, uh, striving. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, leaning into, leaning into your limitations and knowing that, sitting inside in front of a computer you're not going to be happy even though it might satisfy some immediate like you get some hits of dopamine from scrolling uh but you got to go for the walk you got to go out and get some sunlight because that is going to make you happier and you got to spend time with your family because it's going to make you happier and um you know but also be working for working towards something uh because it's you need some sort of deeper satisfaction as well and you need to feel like you're progressing even if it's in a small way. Um so it means it means a lot of things. Uh but it really just means that, you know, you're small and you're limited and and everyone else is too, so you gotta remember that as well it's another reason why like geography and systems are just so important like i would cross these countries across these borders and you could see the change at the border i mean ecuador into peru was the big one you're from ecuador this beautiful city macara kids are in the hammock reading textbooks great ceviche restaurants and you cross into peru and its families are taking the donkey to go get water from the well because they don't have any running water and it's like the difference is first off the geography. They're in the desert, Makaraz getting runoff from the Andes. And then and then it's the systems. And and also every time I've been in a dictatorship or an autocracy versus a democracy, like Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan. Uzbekistan, I think ostensibly is wealthier than Kyrgyzstan, but I would live in Kyrgyzstan a hundred out of a hundred times because you just feel that people are more relaxed and they're not worried about some you know, something looming over them. Um, and so again, it's like the systems really matter because people are small, people are really, really small. And so you need, again, you need healthcare, like, and you need good infrastructure and you need to protect, you know, nature to have nature around them and, and clean water. And, you know, there's, there's just a lot of things that go into it, but this idea that, you know, every person can just. If you just willpower, this guy just needs to work harder. So That is not taking into account these enormous, enormous forces around us. And, and it's arrogant, and it's cold, and it's just wrong that you think that someone can just willpower their way through life. Uh, and to think anyone who's a success did that just through willpower is absolutely absurd.
0: Yeah. What does success mean to you in terms of your future? I'm using air quotes around success. How, how do you define that now?
1: Yeah, I'm still kind of figuring that out. I'm not sure. Um, you know, what, for me, what I'm putting a lot of value on is hopefully writing this book. Um, you know, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. And uh, also, I think it'll be a big, complex problem that'll be a lot of fun to work through uh and also it'll like allow me to share the story in a more uh in depth way uh so uh, I think right now it's uh you know success for me is you know get ultimately really i mean even on a more fundamental level like part of the reason you know I wanna write as well is that because then i then I kind of own my own time, and uh I think that i've that is you know if I can live the rest of my life, not working a nine to five, not to say that's the worst thing in the world, but like, if I can live the rest of my life doing things I want to do. And even just like, if I'm bored sitting around, you know, it's like, oh man, I don't know what to do with myself. That's a success because, you know, at least, you know, I own my time and I can be bored and, uh, you know, and, and then figure out what I want to go, what I want to do from there. Uh, So yeah, I'm not sure, but still figuring it out.
0: And, uh, we've touched on this a bit through, through you answering these questions, but money also this practical thing that you mentioned a lot of, you know, it's a tool to happiness essentially, but everybody has a different relationship with money. I'm not sure what yours was before the walk and what it is now. i just curious.
1: There was a period, uh, like returning to the U S or when I was walking across the U S when I was it's probably the first time i experienced real stress in a long time as stress is in like anxiety stress of some amorphous problem looming over me uh and that was about money is because i was going from this really cheap lifestyle and all of a sudden i was thinking i'm going to have to pay rent and i'm going to have to you know have bills and all these other things and how am i going to make money when you know now that the walks over stopping uh the sponsorships going to stop and patreon is i'm going to turn off And so I got to figure out something else. Um, but you know, I think I'm, I'm very fortunate that, you know, I think I've, I've played the game pretty well. I've played life fairly well, and that I have a story, which is compelling enough that, you know, I will be able to do these speaking engagements and, you know, it's pretty good money. Uh, and and write the book and so i should be able to like leverage the walk into you know making a living elsewhere um uh but yeah i mean you know it's you need money (laughs) and uh you know i have no problem working and when i was younger you know before the walk i worked you know like crazy because i was working towards something and you know i'm sure work takes on a very different meaning when you know, you have kids and you got to take care of your kids. And, you know, that's the most important thing. And, you know, this is a means to an end. It depends on where you're at in life. And, you know, if you need money to keep a roof over your kid's house, hey, I'd be working two jobs if I had to. And I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, so, you know, it depends. And uh, it's just, you know, in the ideal world, you know, you build a utopia, there is no money. We're all on uh, the USS Enterprise. And, uh, you know, it's... If we live in a perfect, <laughs> you know, perfectly egalitarian place, but you know, yeah, money is a tool, and uh, you know, if it depends on what you want out of life, and and that's how you use it, that's how you spend it.
0: Isn't life strange?
1: <laughs> Just so complex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't wait to have you back on when the when the book comes out. Can't wait to read it. Just keep us posted on that. I want to talk about the last day coming across the finish line. You mentioned in in your last post about it, that it was just, uh, really less about what did you say? The homecoming though. Overwhelming was, uh, was the flood of friends and family I ached for. And just this sense of, of relief, anything else you want to share about kind of the end of it?
1: Yeah. The end was, it was really surreal. Uh, so I ended, uh, back where I started in New Jersey in Haddon Township, uh, and, uh, my sister and my mom in particular, and then Philadelphia signed my sponsor Planned this like homecoming at, uh, this big bar and grill. And, uh, so, uh, I like walked past my house where I began and then walked up to the bar and grill. And I had at that point you know, maybe 30 people walking with me and there's people lining the streets of my town and signs out. You just walked
0: out your front door, right? When you left.
1: Initially, yeah. Yeah. That's how I started. Yeah.
0: And back to your front door. I mean, what a moment.
1: Yeah, it was, yeah, it was wild. And, and so, so I I walked past my house where I started and then walked up to the bar and grill and it, it kind of, it was, I mean, it was really beautiful, but it, it didn't fully hit me, you know, it. It was just, it was so crazy. I mean, seeing people standing out the front door waving me on, and like cheering me on. People, I had friends walking with me. I had people walking me from Philadelphia. So I had this big group of people with me. And and then when I got to, you know, when I reached the, uh, the tap room, uh, the bar and grill, uh, and there's you know, 500 plus people out there. And uh, that's when, you know, it really hit me that, like, it's over. And it was, I was first off, you know, coming in and seeing all these people, uh, it was like, I felt really honored that like everyone had come out and, and, uh, it was just amazing to see all these people who felt, you know, inspired or or for some reason connected to me and Savannah. Uh, but then when I crossed the finish line, it was really just like, it was just like, it's over. Like I finished it. Like it felt like I was crawling towards the finish line over the, over the past, you know, seven months of walking across the U S and you know, the world walk has brought me a lot and uh, definitely has changed my life and it's changed me. Uh, But it was, Really, really big, and it dominated fifteen years of my life. It dominated my life since I was seventeen and to cross that finish line and just have it finally be finished was just such a profound relief and say, so, all right, I never have to go walk through the rain again if I don't want to. I don't have to walk through a hundred degree heat. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to sleep. I don't have to worry about you know being in a, a sketchy area or you know, we're just being exhausted and still needing to, you know, push on. And uh so that was uh that was it. That was the the moment where I just was able to shed that weight and, and completed this, you know, very, very large project.
0: Mm. If you had to go back and walk across one of those countries again, which one would you do? <laughs> uh
1: the probably the I mean, infrastructure wise like France is just a piece of cake France or Germany would be the cakewalk. Uh, you know, there's great bike routes and, you know, it's very calm and safe and good food and water everywhere. Uh, but I'd also say probably like Turkey, Turkey is, is such a great country and, uh, and again, there's clean water everywhere because, uh, you know, you get the uh, the Muslims doing the ablutions, you know, cleaning themselves. And so you have these great fountains everywhere in every town and people are so nice. And uh, yeah, I mean, Turkey's a great spot. I would, I would definitely go back there in a heartbeat. Walking, I don't know if I'm going to be doing any more walking though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but those are three great countries you could because I I have like a much smaller bucket list item to just walk across a country one just one, you know. Oh, nice. I mean, I could. There's some countries I could probably do that in a. In a couple of days, they're skin—I know there's parts of Norway—that's pretty, pretty thin. But you know, something, something a little meaty would be nice. I mean, France sounds kind of nice. You can stop, get some wine, get some baguettes and cheese. You're selling me here. <laughs> you
1: should do France. France is great, or even just do the Camino. The Camino is amazing for that. Uh, you know, you have this community around you, and it's the infrastructure is kind of built up where you get a town. Like every 10 miles, you can stop for a cappuccino if you want, or a rattler in the middle of the day. Like, now we're talking. I would, I would say, though, if you really are honest, if you really want to do that, I was like, France is a great country to do that. And there's great bike infrastructure. It'd be so peaceful.
0: Hmm, nice. Uh, any other places that you visited that kind of stand out enough where you'd want to go see them again? someday, or you're just like, I'm never going back to any of them. I'm all, I'm only going to go to new places. <laughs>
1: uh, definitely Georgia. Uh, Georgia is one of my favorite countries, uh, for sure. I think really in contrast to, uh, Azerbaijan as well. Uh, because Azerbaijan is this, uh, dictatorship under the Aliyev's and, uh, there's this pretty big wealth disparity. It feels kind of like a sleepy place. And then Georgia right next door, uh, it's just like bursting with life and there's amazing art and it's young and there's really good food. Uh, the wine is some of the best wine in the world. Uh, it just really feels like it's this young democracy and they're fighting for democracy. And, uh, and it's just really, really vibrant place. So I would, I would definitely go back to Tbilisi and, and around Georgia and just, uh, you know, explore some more of that and see the Northern parts of Georgia, which would have been nice, but yeah, that's, that's up there for sure.
0: Nice. I'm just going to say, look out Bruce Springsteen because New Jersey has a new favorite son. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, I really appreciate you just coming on and sharing the way you have and how, you know, I was so excited to, for you to, to finish this and to just hear from you and learn from you share this conversation with everybody listening and kind of complete this, uh, this trilogy. And we've been following you for these years through this whole thing and the, and the ups and downs and everything. And I cannot find the right words other than thanks for just being you, you know, and and putting yourself out there in the way that you do being honest with everything you do, being authentic, keeping it real. Yeah. Just being you, man. Thank, thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. I'm glad we were able to complete the trilogy. I was I was very much looking forward to it. Always good talking with
0: you. you. too, man. I want everybody to go on to theworldwalk.com. Do you have a place where people can sign up for like an email list or something, by the way, so they can get, get notified? No, notified just when Instagram. Posted? Just Instagram.
1: Instagram. Share on there. That'll probably be the main one, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's where a lot of your audience is and look forward to having you back. Look forward to meeting in person someday. And, uh, Absolutely. I don't know, having a coffee or a beer somewhere. Yeah. I hopefully
1: I'll get up to Oslo soon enough.
0: Do it. Any, uh, any parting words of wisdom?
1: Yeah, sure. I'd say, uh, you know, people are, are really small and that's, and you know, that's important to remember. But so like, you have to practice and just radical empathy with others, but also with yourself. You know, like I always, I was thinking about this in the desert. It was like, you can't walk around the world in a day. You know, literally this took me 15 years and I had a friend in Lima and I couldn't wait to go see him when I was there. And I would try and walk these 30 mile days and I would get too tired. Uh, So I'd ended up finding out that, okay, you do 24 miles a day. and, And that is like the most you can walk. I could, in a single day, I could have walked much more, but I could do 24 miles a day every day consistently. If you're working towards some bigger project, you know, do a little bit of work every day. Be satisfied with it. Set it aside. Do it again the next day. And if it, the day doesn't go well, you know that's all right. You know, you're you're small, and you have these bigger forces working around you. Uh, so give yourself a, cut yourself some slack, and cut other people some slack too.
0: Yeah. Cool. Thanks for that. Thanks for your time today, and look forward to staying in touch.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Jason.
0: Cheers. There you have it. Hope you enjoyed this very special episode of the Zero to Travel podcast. I want to thank Tom Tursich once again for making this show possible. Six years in the making, this episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed putting it together for you. Once again, huge congratulations to Tom. Look forward to staying in touch with him, having him back when his book comes out. And please check him out, theworldwalk.com. And if you haven't signed up over at zerototravel.com, you can do that as well. I've got a newsletter. I share some of the events going on off the podcast and some other fun stuff. Uh, never know what's going to happen over there on the community newsletter. So go and sign up over there. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can send me an email, jason.0totravel.com or leave me a voicemail. I always love to hear from listeners and there's a link in all of the show notes. You just click the link, it takes you to the voicemail box. You can leave a message up to 90 seconds. Easy peasy. Now, let me leave you with a classic travel quote to wrap up this episode. This quote, maybe some of you guessed it. Maybe you knew it was coming. It's from Lao Tzu, who said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Had to use that one for today's show. Want a challenge to wrap this up? Go take a walk today or take a single step in a new journey, whatever that means to you. Thanks for listening. Peace and love to you and yours, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.